from ABC News. I'm Brian Clark. More than a quarter of the nation's adult population has got at least a dose of the coronavirus vaccine that includes Anna Mendoza. She got hers at a mass vaccination site in Seattle. I'm really happy because I think COVID has uh, changed our lives really in a really bad way. 24 states have begun to ease restrictions in some form. The Biden administration dealing with a surge of migrant children at the southern border, now trying to determine where to house them. ABC's Mary Alice Parks has more. Just last night, the Secretary of Homeland Security directed FEMA to start helping at the border with sheltering and caring for unaccompanied minors. According to the Customs and Border Protection, more than 9,000 unaccompanied minors stopped at the border last month alone. Nearly 20,000 people traveling as family units. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo remains in the governor's mansion in Albany. He's facing allegations of inappropriate conduct from several women. He told reporters Friday he was not resigning despite calls to do so from prominent Democrats. Look, it's very simple. I never harassed anyone. I never abused anyone. I never assaulted anyone uh, now. And I never would. There are also calls for the resignation of Republican Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. He said in an interview he was not concerned during the January 6th riot because those marches were patriots. He said Black Lives Matter protesters were more violent. More from ABC's Elizabeth Schulze in Washington. In a statement to ABC News, Johnson doubling down on the controversial remarks, appearing to cite a study claiming hundreds of Black Lives Matter protests over the summer turned violent and saying... That's why I would have been more concerned. The authors of that study telling ABC News it's not an accurate portrayal of the findings, saying 93% of the protests were peaceful. Powerful storms led to 14 reported tornadoes in the Texas panhandle and heavy snowfall in parts of Colorado and Wyoming. You're listening to ABC News. Paid for by Asset Marketing Services, LLC. Have you heard? A secret hoard of 1882 Morgan silver dollars has been found. These gorgeous 1882 old Morgans are as bright and shiny as the day they were struck, and less than 160 of these coins are available. Coin experts are calling the Great Southern Treasury Hoard an incredible opportunity. Just call GovMint.com at 1-800-509-6468, and you're guaranteed a mint condition 1882 Morgan silver dollar, featuring the iconic O-Mint mark of the New Orleans Mint. These 130 39-year-old coins were found in sealed bags that have been untouched since 1882. That makes these unopened bags of Morgan Silver Dollars extremely rare. To learn more, call 1-800-509-6468. Call now and you'll receive a free American Coin Collector's Bonus Package, a $10 value, free with every order. Call 1-800-509-6468 now to secure your 1882 old Morgan Silver Dollar coins before they sell out. That's 1-800-509-6468. All right, just head of gardening. Let's talk for a minute about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Once again, just I just sit back and chuckle a little bit when I hear all the people talking about, oh, the snow damaged your roof this way, the ice damaged your roof this way, you better call such and such to get your roof fixed. You know, just get smart. Get a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on your home or business and stop worrying about what the weather does. You know, <laughs> our roofs came through, not one single problem, all the ice, all the snow. It just doesn't bother a quality metal roof that's been installed by Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. They use such good material. It's truly a lifetime quality roof. They use such good workmanship, you literally will never have to call them about anything. It's probably been close to 20 years on my roof. You know, complex roof, uh, flashing around three chimneys, balcony around three sides upstairs, lots of hips and valleys. Not one single service call have I had to make to them. 
Uh, same way here in Shades of Green. Oh, well, I guess we did have to call them once when a truck backed into our roof. Uh, you can't, that can't hardly say that, that was their fault, though. I just wish that people would realize that, you know, it's one less stress in your life when you don't worry about your roof. And Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roofs are very, very affordable. When we put the roof on our groundwater district in Bernie, I insisted on one. The architect builder said, oh, we can never afford that. And I said, well, you call and check. And sure enough, they called me back and said, I did not realize that a top-quality roof could be so reasonable. Why don't you find out the same thing? Give them a call, 210-822-6868. It's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Hi, I'm Andrea Bocap sanderson and I'm helping spread the words about COVID safety to keep our community healthy. Slow the spread until we find the cure. Keep us safe, baby, as a hope and news. It takes a clear and pure focus just to bring us through. We will come together, keep it practical and true. Let me keep it factual with you. Prevent, protect, provide. Look out for each other. Truth will be a guide. and practice social distancing. Call 311 for support and resources related to COVID-19 or visit covid19.tenantonio.gov. Remember, we're in this together. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And a very good morning, uh, drizzly morning, a little bit of moisture, uh, there's a little bit came down overnight all around, not a whole lot, I had 11100s in my house, and uh, but you know, having this kind of weather, at least things don't dry out, we need that good gully washer to put some water back in the creeks and rivers, and to get a little more water down on the aquifers, but uh, you know, at least you know not a lot of it, let's just say we don't have a lot of evapotranspiration, maybe someday we'll talk about what that means, but it's it's a very important number. It's something we keep up in the groundwater business. We keep up with there. But uh, anyway, kind of a drizzly morning. supposed to turn into a beautiful afternoon. Once again, if you... Uh uh, if you don't have uh, your fertilizer down within the past two or three months, that would be a very good activity for you today. Tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, all those things are in stock around at different nurseries. And uh, here in San Antonio, I wouldn't be too hesitant about planting them. I'm going to hold off for about a week up in the hill country because we're looking at some little chillier temperatures. They're not forecasting anything near freezing. But uh, anyway, there is just so much to do out there. Everybody's so tired of looking at brown shrubs brown grass brown everything why not color it up why not plant some petunias why not plant uh, put out some beautiful hanging baskets i don't know there's just so many things to do and so much to talk about looks like we're going to start with marilyn and ken and mac and uh Don, let's go ahead and get started with phone calls marilyn's up first good morning good morning bob good uh, morning i have a bullet Belinda's Dream uh, Rose Bush, and it does not look very good. I, I did trim it, um, uh, I guess, right in the fall. I haven't done anything to it. It just doesn't look very good. I, do you think that was affected by the the, the freeze? 
You know, it, the foliage has been affected by the freeze, but uh, look carefully at the stems. If they are green to dark green, if they are not shriveled, um, I, you know, I help my business partner prune her uh, uh, rose, well, all of her roses, but especially Belinda's Dream because we have a grower that wanted all the cuttings from it. And the plant is in good shape. The The foliage looks terrible, but what, what people around here have forgotten is that it is totally normal for roses to lose every leaf in the winter. And uh, it's what they do in most parts of the country. We've just had, you know, three or four really warm winters. And this year they didn't just drop off gradually. They all turned brown at once when we had the severe cold. But... Uh, I I wouldn't be worrying about your Belinda's dream. I'd be pretty sure that within the next week or so, you're going to see lots of new buds starting to come out. And uh, like I say, don't don't look at the foliage. Don't worry about that. That naturally looks bad. But look very carefully at the stems. And as uh, long as they're smooth, as long as they at least have some green to them, uh, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Well, there are no leaves on it, period. And it just, uh, the the stems don't look very good. Um, they they don't look like they're green and vibrant. Uh, they're kind of dark. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll just have to just wait and see. But I I give it a, I yeah. I give it at least two weeks. Yeah, I give it at least two weeks. I probably maybe this time hit it with a little bit of liquid fertilizer, has to grow plant or something like that, and. Um, you know, I, I've been very surprised in my own landscape. My Lady Banks rose, which I thought was bulletproof, it got some damage. But my other roses, like Belinda's Dream and some of the Pioneer roses that I have from Antique Rose Emporium, they're all coming out just fine. And again, working in uh, Roberta's garden with her uh, last week, all of her roses are coming out, you know, very well. So let's give it at least a week or two. I'd I'd be very surprised unless it was really dry when it got cold. I I think your Belinda stream will come out fine for you. Okay, and should I cut back my American Beautyberry and my Jerusalem Sage? I would take anything on the Jerusalem Sage, take off any dead foliage. Uh, mine looks like it's going to come out from the base. Most of the top is frozen, so if yours is in that shape, I would definitely cut it back. American Beautyberry, I haven't really noticed any damage on those they grow wild all over my ranch and uh they've of course dropped all their leaves as they do every winter if you need to reduce the size if you need to change the shape by all means do so at this time this would be the best time to do it but uh it's not mandatory on beautyberry okay and one last question just for a friend uh she has or her mother has this uh it's a about six feet tall it's about a hundred years old and it looks like a mock it has the flowers of a mock orange. Can okay. you think of something that is that old that would uh, not be a mock orange? Do you have any idea what it might be? It's in, uh, uh, close to Fredericksburg. Okay, and by mock orange, you're talking about the Philadelphus, the uh, uh, white flower, single-petaled, uh, maybe yeah. three, four inches in diameter. It could be and a mock a orange. Center. Yep, <laughs> it could easily be a mock orange. Those... Uh, uh, about the only other thing would be some of uh, the antique roses. There are single-petaled antique roses that 
look very much like that, but you will have at least a few thorns on those. And, of course, mock orange has more of a brown woody stem. Now, vines, there are some clematis that uh, it could be, but if it looks like a shrub, it could easily be mock orange. And well, with, it, uh, it looks like, uh, she said it looks like, uh, you know, the, um, oh, um, Oh gosh! Now I've lost it. I'm just going to say the the the, the uh, trees that you always suggest uh, with the flowers um, <laughs> in the fall. Uh, oh. Actually, they they uh, they flower all the time. Crepe myrtle. Mm-hmm. She says okay. it looks like a crepe myrtle tree, but it has the flowers of a, like a mock orange, white with the yellow stem insides. Yeah. It could be one other possibility is the uh, Rose of Sharon, Hibiscus Syriacus, Althea, whatever name you want to call it by. That would be another possibility, but uh, I I would narrow it down to those three, either Althea or an Old Rose or, you know, actually Philadelphia, because they do grow here, uh, especially up in that red sand around Fredericksburg. Uh, And they're they're very cold-hardy. They're grown uh, a lot further north than this, so I'm not going to rule out Philadelphia. Uh, One thing that that would give it away when it blooms this spring, check the fragrance. You know, if it has that citrus, citrus smell, to it, uh, it's going to be mock orange. They're just, they're one of the most wonderfully fragrant plants out there. Altheas have very little fragrance, and of course, roses have a very distinct rose fragrance. So, uh, uh, let's let it bloom and, and give it the sniff test, and we can tell for sure what it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure, Marilyn. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Okay. Ken is up next. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Mr. Webster. Good morning, sir, but I'll remind you once again, Mr. Webster is my father. I'm Bob. But <laughs> that, that's a minor point, but uh, uh, just a, a point of humor. Okay, sir. Um, my wife and I just bought a five-in-one stone fruit tree and a Meyer lemon tree, and I put those in the ground a couple of days ago, and then it dawned on me that it's like, I don't know how to care for them now. So if you have a recommendation <laughs> on how to mulch, fertilize, and the watering schedule for those trees please well fertilizer just same thing you put on any others we use the same fertilizers that we use on regular shrubs and things and uh, those plants just thrive on them medina's growing green maestro crows texas tea nature's creations premium lawn food those are all good organic fertilizers put them on three or four times a year and both of those trees will be very very happy um, watering is pretty simple too just remember there's no such thing as too much water but there is too often so when you water really flood them especially uh, being newly planted the one additional thing you may want to do is just every time you think about it take your hose and just spray all over the trunk and limbs of both of those trees because while they're getting their roots established they actually absorb a great deal of moisture directly through the bark um, but beyond that watering the soil just flood it when you water it let it get dry a couple of inches deep and then flood it again how often that is is going to depend on temperature on wind on sunny or cloudy so it's impossible to say you know once a week once every four days um just just okay. feel the soil and see um 
This year, there's not going to be a whole lot you really need to do in pruning, with the exception of the Myers lemon. Be very careful that anything that should sprout below the graft point, that needs to be removed immediately. That needs to be cut off the day you see it coming out. But uh, by this time, you know, next year, we'll be talking about especially the peach and plum that are on your fruit cocktail tree. Lemons, ah, the only reason you prune them is really just to maintain the shape. It's just strictly cosmetic. And uh, I like to prune, on things like uh, your stone fruits, I always prune them while they're deciduous, January, February, maybe even back in December. On the uh, citrus, I like to prune it while it's in bloom because that way I can take off the limbs that have the fewest flowers, leave the limbs that have the most flowers, and therefore I'm not really impacting my fruit crop for the summer. Okay, Bob, I think that covers it. Well, just the one other thing to remind you is your your stone fruit cocktail fruit cocktail tree. It's probably cold hardy down to zero degrees. Your Myers lemon is cold hardy down to about twenty six. So hopefully it'll be another thirty years before we. Uh, oh, what were the guys on the outdoor show calling it yesterday? Our, our winter carnival that we went through here a right. few weeks ago. Only a long time before you see that, but periodically do expect to have to cover that Myers lemon but uh in a typical year i never use the word normal when i talk about texas weather but in a typical year you have to protect it three or four nights a year which is no big deal unless you're out of town so just keep that in mind and uh, you should never have to protect your stone fruits they um they they need the cold to go into proper dormancy uh one misconception that a lot of people have is they think the colder the better actually chilling occurs below 45 degrees and four degrees is no more beneficial to the tree than 44 degrees is so don't be praying for any more of this uh, arctic kind of stuff but uh, uh on oh, the other no, hand I'm hoping for 30 more 30 more years of uh, mild winter. <laughs> you and me both. Bring back global warming, but uh, just, uh, you know, just, just don't ever attempt to protect the stone fruits because they they like that cold, actually. But Myers Lemon's a whole different story. So good luck with it, and you call me anytime you have questions. All right. Thanks a lot, Bob. I appreciate it, Ken. You do the same. Thank you, sir. All right, let's get a break ahead of the way. Uh, Mac will be up next, and then we keep right on down the list. I get to talk about the Tank Depot. And once again, if you were without water, well, you could have avoided that if you'd had some rainwater catchment going on. Uh, you can always purify that water up to drinking water standards if you like. But, you know, for, for all those other things you need moisture for around the house when uh, so many people had their water cut off, it's one more reason that rainwater is a great thing to have. My business partner only has about 12,000 gallons stored, but my friend John Kite up at his old house, he had 70,000 gallons of rainwater, enough to last him probably for two years. It's just so easy. If you've got a roof, if you've got gutters, all you need are the tanks and a little bit of uh, piping to get the water to them and from them. And the Tank Depot, well, they're the company that can help you with that. Every kind of tank you can imagine. Now, your HOA cannot keep you from collecting rainwater. That is your right. They may have a little bit to say about where you put your catchment tanks, but uh, don't worry about that with the Tank Depot. They've got tanks that don't even look like rainwater catchment tanks. And, of course, it's not just rainwater. It's uh, open-top tanks, bait tanks, storage tanks, chemical tanks, transfer tanks. If it's a tank, 
your best source is going to be the Tank Depot. Always the best quality, always the best prices, delivery if you need it. Check them out. Check them out online today at tank-depot, D-E-P-O-T, tank-depot.com. Weekdays, go see them. They're over on Southeast Loop 410, just south of Rigsby Avenue, the Tank Depot. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Mac and Julie and Roger, and Mac is up first. Good morning, Mac. Good morning, Bob. It's beautiful weather. There's no snow. <laughs> Not here. I hear Colorado's getting four feet in some places, but uh, they need it. They need it up there. You know, this is their February. Usually, February and early March are their snowiest months. So I'm glad those. Uh, those uh, national forests are getting a little more moisture in the ground, so they won't be quite so flammable this summer. But they can keep it up there. We've had all the snow we need for a while. Yes. Uh, well, and I have three questions, and one of them is a two-parter. Okay. <clears throat> My first question is, I have several Mexican olive trees, uh-huh. and I wanted your opinion on those after all of this. Mm-hmm. They've been hit pretty hard. <clears throat> Excuse me. Whereabouts and, do you uh, live, Mac? What what part of town do you live? I live in South Texas, up above Laredo. Oh. Okay. Okay. You have a chance. Most people in San Antonio, if they didn't protect them, Mexican olives are simply dead. Um, they they really suffer when we get even to the low 20s, teens. We, we planted some along the front of our property here a few years back, and uh, first year it went down to about 18 degrees and, and just, you know, killed them on the spot, even though we did everything we could to protect them. But near Laredo... Um, what I'm going to tell you is just, you know, watch the trees. Uh, if you look at the trunk, do you see any splits down toward the base? Uh, no, I, I don't see any splits. Uh, okay. Uh, then what I would do is give them, uh, you know, probably six weeks. I suspect that somewhere, you know, probably in the lower couple of feet of the trees, they will begin to sprout out. When they do that, when you see that green foliage appear on the trunk or trunks, you pretty much know that everything above that point is frozen. The good news is that they have the root system of a mature tree, so they can grow much faster than they did the first time around. But at this point, um, it's just wait and see. Uh, and uh, where you are, I'm, you know, I'm reasonably comfortable about them coming back out. San Antonio, especially North San Antonio, yeah, nah, probably very few Mexican olives survived around here. Well, that, they're really beautiful when they bloom. Oh, they are, and they bloom all the time. Yes, when, when they want to, and uh, I, I really, I don't know. They're, I know they're not exactly cold-hardy, though, but, well... My next question is, on Esperanzas, do they bloom on the new growth? Yes. Yes, they okay. certainly do bloom on the new growth. And uh, like the Mexican olives, it's hard to say exactly how far back they froze, but they're the same way. And I'm if we continue to have warm weather, we'll see them sprouting out in the next couple of weeks. And, and they're just like uh, most shrubs, Mexican olives, other things. Look and see where they come out. They're not grafted, so we're not worried about things coming off the rootstock. But wherever they come out, you can pretty much figure everything above that point is frozen and go ahead and cut that back and add it to the compost pile or the firewood supply if they're as big as some of them around here are. 
Okay. And now my next question, the two-parter. Yeah. And this, this I'm a little stumped with. I had a, uh, a bucket garden. Mm-hmm. And when I first started that bucket garden, I put uh, miracle Grow potting soil in it. Uh-huh. And then after a while, I uh, put some uh, back-to-nature premium potting mix in it. Okay. And... I have more faith in that back-to-nature premium potting mix. (laughs) Well-founded. Well, and I figured that what I was going to do is I couldn't remember uh, what pot, what buckets had what in it and how much of what, so I figured, well, I'm just going to replace all the soil. So I started yesterday uh, dumping those out in a little trailer, and what my question is, is there anything I can do with that uh, kind of cocktail of potting mix to reuse it, or oh sure, I I I wouldn't have taken it out of the pots. You know, my big objection to Miracle Grow is number one, they put a synthetic chemical fertilizer in there. Number two, it's based largely on Canadian peat moss, which is antimicrobial, which is non-renewable, which breaks down to a slimy mess over time. So I would just blend the good stuff in with it. I'd even consider blending in some garden soil with it. And, uh, you know, compared, you know, <laughs> compared to the, the stuff, uh, that we, that, that we call soil that we have through a lot of this part of Texas, uh, uh, what you've got out in that trailer is a whole lot better. And, you know, if you you said, well, I don't want to put it in my pots. I'd tell you you could create some raised beds with it. I would tell you uh, in your vegetable garden, just put it down and kind of blend it in. The antimicrobial effect of the peat moss is going to be diluted by mixing all your other good soils with it. So, uh, and, and whatever you can say about it, it is high in organic material, which is always going to be a good soil builder and good soil loosener. You don't have the issues near Laredo that we do you know, in the hill country, but man, I sure wouldn't dispose of that. You've got <laughs> what you have there is probably better than most bulk soils are going to be sold. So, uh, um, if anything, just, you know, mix some of your quality material, be it back to nature, be it nature's creation, uh, be it bulk material from Stone and Soil Depot, blend some of that with it. And, uh, you've just got better soil than you're going to get in most plants from the nursery. And, uh, just don't go back to any of that miracle grow stuff. Well, you know, that's what I was thinking. I, I started dumping that, and, man, I had second thoughts about it. That's <laughs> <laughs> just pouring money out on the ground. And unless you've recently won the big lottery, I don't think I would advise that. And I wouldn't even advise it then. But, uh, no, it's just, you know, it's, it's not the best soil in the world, but it's a long way above the worst soil in the world. So make use of it however you like, Mike. Okay. And the the second part of that question is, on the back to nature premium potting mix, uh-huh. I, I, I I like it. Uh, it's been good, but I was looking at the uh, contents of it, and all it has in it is uh, aged aged forest products, mm-hmm. uh, composted cotton burrs, perlite, but it does have peat moss in it. Uh huh. And uh, I was wondering, it does it have? Do you think it has enough to cause any negative effects or is it well 
any any amount of peat moss is going to have some negative effects. Is it going to have a major impact? No, it's not. But uh, if you have the option, and I'd talk to, you know, I know uh, Gentry's probably still around over there, but um, get your nursery over there. Talk to them about getting nature's creation instead of back to nature, and uh, you'll get a product that is uh, pretty much the same but without the peat moss uh, with a wider range of forest products. I'm not a big fan of cotton burrs because a lot of years ago when I worked with Alton Grimm up in Bernie, we killed about 400 roses with a batch of cotton burrs that they hadn't gotten all the cotton defoliating chemical out of. And I've been a little reluctant on pure cotton burr compost, but blended with other forest products, not a bad product. And uh, I can promise you because of price, they probably haven't put a lot of peat in there. So uh, encourage them to get away from it. Encourage your nursery to carry nature's creation instead of back to nature, at least on that one product. And uh, you're going to be fine. Well, uh, I appreciate that. And the back to nature... Uh, that Back to Nature Premium Potting Mix, that's still, if I get that right, that still is a lot better than Miracle Grow. And it's absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Miracle Grow is probably 90% Canadian peat, although it's been a while since I opened a bag. Back to Nature is probably 10% Canadian peat. I'm, not, I'm also not crazy about perlite in a potting soil because it floats. I love perlite for what it is and what it does. But, you know, every time you water, you get a little bit more of it up on the surface, floating away. I'm just not a big fan of perlite in, in uh, outside of uh, container gardening. But, uh, uh, again, not a bad product. They're just, uh, I think there's some better ones out there. It's kind of like kind of like eating cheap hamburger. Not my choice if I can avoid it. I'd, I'd much rather be eating prime rib. But reality is that uh, I eat a lot of hamburgers. Not cheap hamburger. It's grass-fed. It's hormone and antibiotic-free. But, uh uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, the, the best of the best or something that's not too bad. So, uh, don't, don't spend any time worrying about it. Well, I appreciate it. You have a good day and enjoy. Hey, you know, I will, Mac. You have a wonderful one as well. And we'll talk again. And right now we'll talk to Julie. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, from, uh, from Norman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks. Let you know which Julie it is. I always appreciate that because uh, my answers to uh, you Northerners might be a little bit different from uh, those of us in the Deep South. I always used to used to laugh at uh, Justin Wilson. Used to talk about, oh, he's from way up north, up around Shreveport. <laughs> and so, oh, no. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, how I can have, I help you? I have three things to talk for you to talk about. Hydrogen, and I'm just going to name them, and you can do it whatever order. Hydrogen peroxide on an indoor plant with a virus, rust on outdoor trees. And I didn't get how you used the Epsom salt yesterday. I must have been going to get a cup of coffee when you said that because I came back and you were talking about it, and I missed the whole thing. So I would okay. like to talk about those three things. All right. Well, hydrogen peroxide has turned out to be just an amazing product when it comes to limiting viruses in plants because um, you know we've always been told there is no cure you might as well throw it away if it has a virus and which is really kind of foolish 
Yeah, because uh, in some cases, some of our variegated foliages are due to viruses and things like those incredibly colorful parrot tulips that you can grow in Norman that we can't grow here. Those are virus induced. So, you know, they're kind of like bacteria. They're, they're not all bad, but, um, Generally, a dilution of two parts hydrogen peroxide, and this is a, the peroxide from the drugstore, which is probably 3%, but mixing about two parts water to one part peroxide and just a foliar spray has been shown to control everything from rose rosette to, uh, um, you know, the, uh, the virus that we get in squash. It just seems to be a very good viricide, so to speak, and um, I, I don't so overuse like it. Two cups of water? And one cup of hydrogen peroxide? That's it. That's it. But use what you mix. Once you dilute it, hydrogen peroxide pretty quickly wants to try to become water and oxygen. So once you've diluted it, don't try to store it and keep your peroxide bottle tightly closed because H2O2 fairly quickly turns into H2O plus O2. Okay. Okay, I got it. Okay, that's for the virus in the house plant. Yes. Okay, now what about rust on old outdoor trees? They're really old. They've not been taken care of. There are very few trees that really have a rust issue. Rust is usually more of a problem on snapdragons, maybe on altheas. What kind of trees are you concerned about? (laughs) Well, we don't know. It was an area we, we just got all hyped up about doing this one area, and we didn't. We just noticed that there were... They're just brown stuff all over the outside of it. And it could be that it's not taken care of for, you know, 50 yeah. years. I don't know. And there's lots so, of brown stuff out there that's not detrimental. Okay. Rust is a uh, is a fungus. Um, the okay. reproduces by something called uridia spores. And um, uh, cornmeal, the, high, the uh, trichoderma fungus that grows on cornmeal, will control most, most rust issues so if it's a place that you would spray i'd be soaking uh you know a couple of well about a cup of cornmeal in uh two gallons of water soak it overnight and of course i put that cornmeal in like a paint strainer's bag or something so you don't have to strain it before you spray it but uh soak it overnight and that's going to be as good an anti-rust spray as you can come up with um so but i'm questioning that what you're seeing is really a damaging rust but um look at it look into it a little further yeah Yeah. um and on the epsom salts epsom salts are or is magnesium sulfate uh and in south texas um many times our soils the calcium and magnesium get out of balance and when they become unbalanced, we start having some physiological conditions show up, the most common one being blossom end rot in tomatoes, which is very much a misnomer because it sounds like a disease and it's not. It's simply a malady that comes, you know, when the, when the minerals get a little screwed up. So uh, we simply apply Epsom salts to the surface of the soil. It's not something that's taken up by the tomatoes. What we're doing is rebalancing the calcium and magnesium in the soil and in doing so, we're preventing blossom end rot. Now, um, magnesium well, is a... the rocks phosphate that you have, have a... Oh, yeah. It's to- two totally different things. Oh. Rock phosphate we put in the bottom of the hole to increase right. fruit set. But uh, okay. magnesium sulfate, Epsom salts, we're just using to adjust the uh, soil chemistry, so to speak. 
And um, now there are other plants that, that really do benefit from extra magnesium, roses being probably the most prominent among those. But uh, just if you've ever experienced blossom and drought in your tomato patch, uh, it's very, very easy to prevent a couple of handfuls on the surface of the soil after you plant your tomato plants will pretty much totally eliminate blossom and drought. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Well, you have a wonderful day, and you have a great day at Norman, and we'll talk again. Thanks so much. Okay. All right, I get to, you're welcome, thank you. Get to talk to you for a moment about other ways to make your soil just better, 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 and more better, and that's just keep on using those organic fertilizers regularly. Probably the most readily available one, and certainly one of the best out there, is the products from Medina. They're dry, granular, growing green fertilizer, certified organic. Now, all of Medina's products are either natural or, or organic. Uh, not all of them are certified organic, because that's a very expensive process. But uh, anyway, growing green, certified organic, and uh, great for grass, trees, shrubs, ground covers, vegetable gardens, flowers. Beds. I use it on pretty much everything. Now, when it comes to stuff in pots, I'm going to be alternating things like the Hester Grow plant formula with their new liquid fish formula. That has produced, oh, I've made a lot of people jealous, showing them pictures of the orchids that I grow on that regimen. And I do that pretty much uh, on my pot plants and on my vegetables once they're up and growing. Now, I put the growing green down before I plant, but then to really follow up, keep them coming on i use uh use a lot of the hastero plant that's one of my favorites and i'm really working a lot of that new liquid fish formula in as well trying to get your soil softer well you need to think about medina's uh, soil activator and the improved form of soil activator which is called medina plus simply because they added uh, more liquid seaweed to it that's what the plus is all about you know i could talk about their orange oil i could talk about their molasses i could talk about so many things that medina does well dry humates if you really want to pick up the soil microactivity and uh, increase the microbial content as well as the organic content. Just know that if it says Medina Agriculture on the label, on the bagger bottle, you're getting quality inside Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, Roger, Steve, and Robert are the next three callers. I should tell you, just uh, my engineer sends these to me three at a time. Doesn't mean there might not be somebody online number four, but uh, uh, that's what we do. And Roger is up first. Good morning, Roger. Good morning. Morning, sir. Um, good morning. Um, I've got kind of three questions. Um, okay. We've got a uh, apartment complex behind our house. And okay. We live by the medical center. All right. And right now, you can see straight into my backyard. Uh huh. Um, all I got is the six foot fence, but I wanted to find some good privacy trees. Okay. How tall are they going to need to be to give you the privacy you need? Uh, eight feet, ten feet, twenty feet. Um, out in your area, you know, some of that land's a little hilly. So give me an idea of how, how tall you would like that barrier to be. At least 12 to 15 feet. Okay. You have a number of choices. Um, you know, a shrub that I have recommended uh, very highly in the past, and I will continue to recommend, is called Xylosma, X-Y-L-O-S-M-A. And I know that they did suffer a lot of damage, uh, you know, this uh, this winter with uh, 6 degrees temperature, but it's been 30 years since we saw them have a problem. So 
I'm not going to condemn them at this point, but uh, you can plant a, a five-gallon uh, a xylosma, which is three feet tall, and by the end of the summer it could easily be eight feet tall, and by the end of next summer it could be 15 feet tall. So it's one of the fastest, and uh, generally no cold hardiness problems, at least down into the low teens. Uh, another fast-growing shrub, now the xylosma can be trimmed to be very much upright. Um, another shrub that will certainly grow quickly, give you lots of density as far as both noise protection and visual, uh, is loquat. And loquat, um, if, they, if it has a disadvantage, it likes to get wide as well as tall. Again, starting with a five-gallon container, you could expect to have a 12-foot shrub in two to three years. And um, they, they, again, they're cold hardy, probably down to 10 or 12 degrees at least. But uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm not going to judge everything on this winter because, uh, you know, this seems to happen about every 30 years in this area. But the two fastest growing would be xylosma and loquat. There are also some bamboos out there. I would never recommend any spreading bamboo, but uh, there are clumping bamboos. Uh, Alphonse Carr is one. Golden Goddess is another that will get up in a 10 to 12 foot range you know with some some reasonable quickness to it the other option um and you know you may run into an issue with the city but uh sometimes it's easier to get forgiveness than it is to get permission but you could put a you know some sort of you, you could in effect extend your your fence upwards not necessarily with a dense material but uh with cattle panels with just some uh, vert- some horizontal wires or something that something could grow on and you could get a vine tangerine beauty cross vine is a fast growing vine that uh, has uh, tangerine colored flowers uh, in profusion in the spring and then scattered through the summer and uh, it is evergreen it came through the cold pretty much just fine and uh, again you could have 12 15 feet tall the first year planting that if it has something to grow on Star Jasmine is the same way. Star Jasmine really took a hit this year, but again, uh, it's the first time in 30 years we've had a problem with it. And uh, it could grow 12, 15 feet tall the first year, but again, it has to have something to grow on. Now, technically, um, the city can limit the height of your fences, but uh, if you're not building a dense fence, if you're simply putting up in effect, a lattice, uh, be it wire, be it wood, be it uh, nylon, something that uh, a vine could grow up, I think they would have a hard time giving you, you know, too much trouble about it. But the city is the city, so I can't can't give you advice uh, that could get you into trouble. It might be a question that you ask, and uh, that that's going to be the fastest way to get a screen up. It's going to be a fast-growing vine. But... Um, uh, if, if you want a shrub, probably xylosma, loquat are my two fast-growing alternatives. Other really good quality plants, but plants that are going to take a little longer to get up there, uh, those include things like your standard Yopon holly. I like a variety called Pride of Houston. Podocarpus, uh, Japanese yew is its common name. Uh, it's going to grow to, it, not quickly, but it will certainly get 12, 15 feet tall. Um, oh, common ligustrum, I'm just not real fond of it. It has a lot of negative characteristics, but, uh, you know, it, it's still an option in, you know, in a lot of cases, but uh, it's certainly not on the top of my list. 
Okay. Now, let me tell you one one other thing. If you actually wanted an ever an evergreen tree to put back there, you should look at what we call the Mexican white oak, also known as Monterey oak, Quercus polymorphus, its botanical name. Uh, this is the fastest growing of the oak trees. It is evergreen, although it did lose its foliage early this year with a severe winter. But uh, it doesn't get oak wilt. I consider it an outstanding oak for this area. Um the next thing is part of the reason why we're doing the we want the privacy trees is because we put a pool in. Okay. So my wife would like to put some bushes that stay green, don't really lose their leaves very often. Uh-huh. Um, that we can keep somewhat low but it just looks pretty. And when you say somewhat low, how low are we talking? No three feet, five feet. Okay, um, a couple of great choices. Uh, there's a plant called dwarf yopon, Y-A-U-P-O-N, dwarf yopon holly. Excellent choice. Uh, there's a new variety of boxwood out there called baby gem, G-E-M. And uh, both of those are excellent evergreen shrubs that really have, uh, oh, really have no problems at all. Uh, both of them came through the winter just fine. Uh, there is one other I would consider, and it would be one of the newer varieties of Abelia, A-B-E-L-I-A. With those, you're going to get the benefit of uh, white flowers throughout the summer months, but you're going to get the negative of uh, having a few blooms in your pool skimmer every now and then. But look at Kaleidoscope, look at Radiance, look at some of the new Abelia varieties, and uh, they're going to give you a little... A little more exciting plant. I don't mean to say that Yopon and Boxwood are boring, but they are. <laughs> but, you know, you, you could plant something like those for evergreens and then back a little ways away from the pool. If it were mine, I, then I'd put something really colorful like Esperanza or Pride of Barbados. Or those things are not going to be evergreen, but it's a little bit of a backdrop to give you some color along with your evergreen. I think they're certainly worth considering. Okay. Thank you. Uh, last part of the question is I... One thing I can grow very well is weeds. Uh, most of us can. Uh, I've gotten one that's coming to my yard, and within a year and a half, two years, it's pretty much taken over most of the, the darker shaded areas. It's okay. a light green grass. Um, when I weeded it, it is all over my clothes. Mm-hmm. It hangs on really well. Is it is it a grass or is it more of a vining plant? It's a vining kind of plant. Yeah, it's probably, and it's mainly an issue in the spring, um, it's probably something called bed straw, and a lot of people call it Velcro weed because it does kind of stick to everything that it can. Um, you know, your lawnmower will take care of it when it's low. Um, if your grass hasn't greened up yet, you can spray with orange oil and vinegar, and it'll be dead in 15 minutes. Uh, you can rake it out. Uh, a mixture of strong vinegar uh, and orange oil, two ounces to a gallon of vinegar. Uh, it was uh, a great non-selective uh, herbicide. It will kill everything green, but you need to use it before your grass greens up in the spring or it can do some damage. It's not going to kill your grass, but it will burn it a little bit. But in early spring, while most of our turf grasses are still brown, you can spray that mix and you'll kill the dandelions, the henbit, the Velcro weed, all of those things. Uh, it's it's easily, it, it grows incredibly quickly, but fortunately it's usually gone by early summer and and uh, it's easy to kill in the meantime. Okay. Thank you very much. 
You're certainly welcome. Good luck with your uh, with your concerns there, and I'll uh, look forward to visiting again. Let me get my last Thank break you. of the hour out of the way. You're certainly welcome, and then we'll get back to phone calls. I get to talk to you about Dr. Mark Williamson. You know, I love talking about good people, and just every profession out there, you're going to find the average guys, and then you're going to find the cream of the crop. Dr. Williamson fits into the cream of the crop for so many reasons. You know, dentistry's gone the way of medicine and so many things, taken over by big corporations that want to tell the doctors, okay, you can spend X number of members of minutes with the patient. Uh, you've got this many minutes to take care of your cleaning, blah, blah, blah. And if it's anything complex, just refer it out to a specialist. Well, Dr. Williamson doesn't work that way. He gets to know you. He and his staff will take the time to address your individual needs. You are very very definitely an individual, not just a number. And Dr. Williamson is highly trained and highly skilled in most oral surgery and dental procedures. I mean, sure, simple whitening. Yeah, in fact, you can probably get free whitening for life. Uh, ask him about that when you go see him sometime. But I uh, love the story about the fellow whose uh, dentist was going to, the fellow needed an extraction, an implant, and a crown. And his dentist was going to send him to three different specialists over a six-month period of time. Dr. Williamson took care of the whole process in two sittings very quickly, very reasonably priced, and uh, <laughs> no great inconvenience. It's just a big difference in dental care, and I think you deserve the best, and that's why I love telling you about doc- Dr. Mark Williamson. Uh, Dr. Staffel, Ed Staffel, hand-selected Dr. Williamson as the man he wanted to carry on his practice, and Dr. Staffel was quite the man and quite, quite a perfectionist. So you know that Dr. Williamson is extraordinarily well-qualified, I just can't tell you how much I believe you'll enjoy visiting with him, and he can solve your dental problems, be they simple cleaning or major complex issues, sedation dentistry if is available, if you uh, have any any nervousness about all this. Just, just give him a call and find out what I'm talking about. Talk to Beth, talk to the office staff, and go meet Dr. Williamson. The number is 341-2569, 210 area code, of course, 341-2569. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, back to gardening on a kind of a typical spring morning. Overcast, a little bit of drizzle here and there out there, but uh, not going to be a bad day at all. Up in the 70s here in town, actually in the probably through the hill country as well. It's going to be a great day to get out and garden. I just have that windbreaker handy this morning. By this afternoon, you'll be like me, down to shorts and T-shirt and feeling really good about it. Uh, uh, just a couple of uh, quick things. I know a lot of people have been asking me about jicama seed, uh, and I just checked with uh, David over at David's Garden Seed. and He's got a bunch of packs of it. I think there are 25 seeds to a package or something like that. So if you're having trouble finding jicama seed, I'm going to be planting mine probably this next week. But if you're looking for jicama seed, uh, check out David's Garden Seed. Uh, he's only got like 5,000 different kinds of seed or some incredible number like that. But anyway, if you're looking for jicama, uh, that's where you're going to find it for sure. Uh, we're going to talk to Steve and Robert and Michael in that order. And Steve is up first. Good morning, Steve. Hey, good morning, Bob. Uh, morning, sir. I have a, a, I have a, a bottle brush uh, that suffered a little bit of a freeze damage there. And I'm <laughs> trying to, how can I tell if that thing is alive and should I cut that thing back? Uh, bottle brush didn't suffer a little damage. They suffered a lot of damage unless they were heavily covered. Is yours a little dwarf form they call Little John, or is it one of the taller ones? Uh, it's probably one of the smaller ones. It's more bush-like. 
Okay, and is it kind of gray green in color with a very dark red flower? Uh, no, it's it's uh, it's a, it's a darker green color with a nice yeah. uh, red flower. Okay, that that is probably the dwarf one called Little John. That's good news because I think it's the more cold hardy of the bottle brushes. About all we can do at this point is wait and see where they come out. Look down toward the base of the plant. Look down at the stems. If you see splits in those stems, go ahead and cut them down to a couple of inches tall because at that point, your only hope is they come out from the roots if you are from the very lower part of the stem. If you don't see splits, basically trim the top a little bit if you like for cosmetic purposes but they will probably sprout out somewhere most likely on the lower foot of the stem we really can't tell where and scratching the bark isn't really a good indication but wherever you see new growth appear you can figure that everything above that point is frozen um, so at this point, like I say, if you want to take off, you know, the top six inches just to make it look a little bit better, go ahead and do that. But assuming that there are no splits in the stem, wait until you see a little bit of new growth appearing and then cut off everything above that point. Uh, no guarantees, but Little John is the most cold hardy of the bottle brushes, and I think there's pretty good chance it'll come back out for you. Good deal, good deal. And on, uh, I have some uh, buffalo grass. Uh, I'm out in the uh, in the Bernie Bergheim area, and I have a uh, 609 buffalo grass. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. Man, I've got it is patchy. Uh, it's real patchy. Um, and usually, I've I've in the in the spring, I'll throw on some corn gluten. Um, I've never really aerated it. Uh, I've, I've heard some mixed reviews on whether you should aerate that, you know, the buffalo grass or not. So, mm-hmm. uh, any recommendations or anybody I should talk to about that? Well, I think aeration is totally a waste of time on an organic program because you accomplish exactly the same thing, you know, with something like a thin layer of compost that I think would be good for any grass. The the good thing about buffalo grass is, of course, it's it's native. It's very, very drought tolerant. The bad thing is it simply does not compete well with weeds, and you never, ever want to put a synthetic fertilizer on there. Pretty soon you'll just have a weed patch. Uh, I would very definitely feed it. I recommend feeding a little bit more heavily than a lot of people do. I do it three or four times a year with any of the good organic products. Uh, uh, since Stanley Jones went and closed down uh, the wonderful Bergheim store, you'll probably have to you know, maybe go over to Hill Country African Violets or come toward the big city, but uh, Growing Green by Medina would be a great fertilizer for it. Nature's Creation makes one they call uh, premium lawn food. I would very definitely feed your buffalo grass. I'd be mowing fairly regularly but uh, corn gluten meal, it's 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 iffy as to how much good it really does. And given the choice, I'd rather see you put a quarter to half an inch of compost over it. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Now, on your compost, do specify a manure compost. Don't get something full of biosolids. And uh, closest place, uh, how big an area do you have? How much buffalo grass did you plant? You know, it's probably uh, about a half acre. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, you're going to be wanting to get uh, compost in bulk. Uh, You've got a Stone and Soil Depot over on 281. You've also got one on I-10, and that's going to be where I'm going to be getting uh, bulk 
compost and just tell them you don't want any biosolids. I don't think they keep the biosolids compost, but just be on the safe side. Tell them you want the uh, manure-based compost and do a little bit at a time. You know, don't make this a project that just, you know, wears you out and takes all the fun out of it, but just, uh, you know, if you did a little bit of it, uh, you know, one day a week or something like that, pretty soon the whole yard will be done, and that's going to do a lot more good things for your grass and uh, core aerifying well. So I've used uh, chicken manure in the uh, in the past as far as uh, as far as feeding it. So would you recommend uh, the the um, uh, putting something down first and then the compost or topsoil? That would be the best thing. Do your fertilizing first. Uh, no topsoil. You're just going to bring in more weeds with topsoil. But uh, you know, it's just there. There's several kinds of good organic fertilizer. Medina makes one of the best of the poultry litter bases. Um, the product from Nature's Creation is based more around alfalfa, and uh, either one of those are going to be absolutely wonderful for your 609. Excellent. Thanks very much. Let me know how it works out. I look forward to hearing back from you, Steve. Thank you, sir. You too. Bye. All right. Next up is Robert. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, sir. I have a question for you about my plum trees. Uh, okay. Last night I was uh, down um, looking at them, and uh, they were covered with moths. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if that was uh, a pest issue. I'm assuming it is, or if it was some kind of a um, pollination issue. No, it's, uh, and did you say covered with moss or covered with moths? Well, mo- uh, moths, M-O-T-H-S. Oh, okay. Um, you know, the moths are, they're probably just just looking for a place to hang on and, uh, you know, while the moisture's coming down. They do lay eggs, which tend to form uh, a little grub that can be damaging to many things, but not usually to the plum trees. They they have very few issues with that. If you want to be totally safe, spray a little BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, uh, BT, add a little bit of molasses to it, and uh, you will totally wipe out any caterpillars, uh, you know, that they may be laying the eggs for. I doubt that it's really an issue, but uh, plums are not something you really want to waste. You want every plum you can get out of this. And so I'd probably spray a little BT around and uh, let it go at that. I, I don't think it's anything you need to be overly concerned about. Okay, good. Well, this tree is probably about six feet tall or so, and it's uh-huh. covered in blooms. Yeah. Is each one of those blooms going to potentially produce fruit? It is. It wow. most definitely is. Now, um, you know, plums are plums take some maintenance. If you don't maintain your plum trees well, uh, they'll only live for a few years. You know, you'd be doing good to get eight or ten years out of them. Uh, probably the most important thing we do with plums, and we do this typically December, January, is we go through every year and really thin them out. Now, on a six-foot tree. Um, you're probably, if you didn't do that this year, you're okay. But next fall, you need to get in and thin out as much as 50% of the budwood. It's not really just prune it back, but it's going up and down the limbs and everywhere you've got that little side limb coming out that's going to have a flower bud on it, take out every other one. And this will maintain a much higher level of vigor in your plum trees. It will give you bigger fruit, not necessarily better, but it'll give you bigger fruit. And like I say, it's the way to keep your plum trees going for a lot of years. At this point, you know, we're not out of the woods yet on, uh, you know, total cold weather. So uh, 
Uh, once your plums actually set fruit, once they get up to be pea-sized, if you find that you just have an incredibly large number of them, I would probably go through and thin that fruit out a little bit because the way that I like to think of it is, let's say your peach, your plum tree is capable of producing 50 pounds of plums. You can have a hundred half-pound plums or you can have a thousand plums that weigh a couple of ounces each. And uh, sometimes the trees just get a little exuberant in the amount of fruit they set. And in order to get a little bit better quality fruit, a little bit more flesh, and a little bit less seed, you probably want to go through and thin it out. But let's see how much fruit gets set. Let's see uh, if we have any more really chilly weather. And uh, like I say, uh, the time to do your thinning is when uh, the, the fruit's about the size of an English pea, and that's still several weeks off. Okay. And so when you're saying thin them out, are you saying uh, thin them every other one on the vertical trunk as well you know, as just... What what I do, because when a plum tree really gets carried away or a peach, you'll sometimes have two or three little plums produced in a cluster, uh, and I will take off all except one. I don't necessarily, now thinning the tree, that's when we take off every other branch, but thinning the fruit, I'm just going to thin it down to uh, just one plum per cluster, and uh, that'll give us bigger fruit and a little better quality. Okay, great. Now, on my pears, uh, I think I was fighting the the blight uh, this last fall. Is Uh there uh, anything that I need to do this spring to see if they're going to survive? Well, cut off anything, any root sprouts trying to come off the base, off the rootstock of the plant. But uh, pears, some varieties are simply more genetically susceptible to bacterial fire blight. And the other way that we create fire blight problems is we do too much pruning. And also, uh, sometimes we use uh, synthetic nitrogen fertilizers. Those things will encourage fire blight problems. So other than dead wood, other than limbs that are rubbing together, just put your pruning shears away. Never prune a pear tree other than to take off the root sprouts. Uh, Beyond that, feed always with organic fertilizers. Uh, The fire blight really should not become a big issue. Okay, great. Uh, one final question. Uh, could you recommend a uh, avocado uh, tree for us? Not really. You know, <laughs> when, you get, when you get much north of 1604... Uh, you're really pushing it. Um, if you <laughs> if you want to look forward to covering it on a very regular basis, uh, you know there's some there's some good varieties, Joey and Opal, and uh, there are actually a bunch of different ones. But you just a little far north. I don't try growing them in Bernie, and you say the Bernie Bergheim area that that stretch of 46 is pretty uniform in its temperature, and you're just a little too cold for most citrus, and you're just a little too cold for most avocados. If you want to, if you want to experiment with it, uh, you know, Joey Opal, those will do very well. There, there, Mexicola is another good one. There are about five or six that are pretty good, but the first year you're going to have to cover them every time we have uh, problems with frost approaching because if they still have smooth bark. Even a light frost can be damaging to them. Once they develop that rough bark, they're going to be cold hardy down to probably 20 degrees. But uh, um, you're just going to have that happen a lot more often up there than uh, folks in San Antonio do. So only plant the avocados if you stay home all winter and if you're willing to get out and do some work to get a few avocados. Okay. Well, very good. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate all your help. Always a pleasure. Good to talk to you. Thank you, sir.
All right, uh, next up is, uh, let me check my time here. Uh, let me get a quick break in here. Michael, you'll be up as soon as we come back from this break. But uh, I get to talk to you for a minute about Green Grow Organics and Sam Sitterly. Sam's a busy man this spring because uh, he just offers quality services at very reasonable prices with no long-term contracts. Uh, that, in a nutshell, is what he does. And he does everything organically. Uh, he's not your guy that's going to mow an edge and you know plant 5,000 uh, shrubs for you he's more or less your consultant that will take care of issues like fertilizing compost application beneficial nematodes trichogramma wasp all the things that it does to keep your landscape really healthy and really beautiful sam's been doing it for about 30 years now you're never going to have to worry about him spraying toxic poisons around he simply doesn't do that he has the knowledge to help you head off problems and to correct problems that may occur always with a non-toxic approach. And like I say, there's no long-term contract. It's simply a matter, I want you to check him out. Go to Green Grow, spelled out, G-R-O-W, GreenGrowOrganics.com, and uh, look at the services he offers. Look at all the pictures of the beautiful landscapes he's helped people to create. And if you think that's for you, if you know you're just not going to get around to doing the things you should be doing this spring, call Sam and let him take care of it for you. He'll set up a no-obligation consultation, tell you what he sees that will improve your landscape and then you simply decide how much you want to do how much you'd like him to take care of sam sitterly green grow organics south texas gardening with bob webster news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 All right, we are back to gardening. It's going to be Michael and Mary and Margaret. Got a lot of M's up there on the board right now. Michael is up first. Good morning, Michael. Hey, good morning, Bob. Listen, a comment and a quick question for you. Uh, yes, sir. To this freeze. Uh, I had about a 30-foot xylosma out front, and mm-hmm. I know I've been hearing you talk about xylosma. So uh, the first time I've ever seen the plant go from solid green leaves to brown leaves. I mean, it would yeah. be like overnight. And so yes, I sir. assume that that's probably, I've, I've scratched the bark, nothing seems alive, and Cardinal, what you're saying, it's, uh, it's probably toast. Anyway. Well, um, I'm not giving up on them yet. As a matter of fact, a uh, property right next door to us here, there's one of those that's about 30 feet tall. I'll probably go out about the time the show's over and take a close look at it. I've not seen any splits in the trunk, and that's usually the sign, you know, kind of the death knell of the tree. If you see big splits in the bark, especially down toward the base, yeah, that one may need to be written off. But, you know, we had this in 83. We had a lot of xylosmas uh, that that froze back, and probably at least 85% of them came back out. And because they have the root system of a mature shrub, they regrew fairly quickly. So um, I think you would be safe probably to take off the outer 10 feet. I think we can pretty much assume that that is pretty much frozen. But I'm not going to be ripping that thing all the way out for another two or three weeks. I'd, I want to see three weeks of warm weather um, on most plants, some of them a little bit longer. But that's that's I'm going to give it that much time before I just totally write it off. So uh, you know what's best in your own situation. But there, there are some things that are actually worse off than they look, and there are some things that are not nearly as bad off as they look. So let's, let's don't rush to judgment on this one, so to speak. Sure. When you say out of 10 feet, you're talking about anything 10 feet or higher? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, well, I'll, I'll be patient with it. Heck, I've, I've had it around this long, so what the heck, you know. Yeah, and again, I know, uh, <laughs> let's just say in some family situations, I, I watch some people getting some pressure to remove everything that doesn't look good, but sometimes we uh, we take it away a little bit more than really we really have to, and, uh, you know, being a good family man, I'll, I'll just leave it at that so I don't get myself in any, good, in any deeper trouble, shall we say. <laughs> Sure, I understand. Listen, we were in Hardberger Park walking around yesterday, and I, I noticed all the beautiful, uh, many of them small, uh, uh, cedar elms that were coming out and see the little new growth, the leaves. And stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Right here, we've got about a 40-foot cedar elm, and it's not having that kind of kind of growth yet. And I'm thinking, well, I wonder why this one's behaving differently than the others. So what do you think about that? If you're looking in my front yard, I've got two cedar elms, both of about 8-inch caliper, both of them about the same size trees, probably 30 feet tall. Every fall, one of them drops its leaves three weeks before the other one does. Every spring, one of them is always three weeks later to come out than the other one. I've got another row of four of them along the front of my big barn, and they do the same thing. They come out at four different rates, and... As Howard Garrett would put it, cedar elms are just very promiscuous trees. They cross-pollinate with, you know, with lots of other trees out there, lots of other elms. And we end up with just a little bit of mixed-up genetics. And I never judge a cedar elm by what your neighbors look like or what any others look like. I, as long as that tree's healthy, as long as that root flare's exposed, I'm going to give you about 99.99% chance that tree's just going to come out just fine. And sitting in my front yard with the cool one after I did some pretty hard work on my last day off, uh, I was looking at mine. One of them is covered with little green buds. The other is just smooth brown twigs. So uh, um, I, I think you're just looking at uh, individual genetic variation in the trees. All right. Well, it's been a good performer every year, and the flare is great. It's, it's terrific. Yeah. It's no problem. Yeah. There. Find something else to worry about. All right, sir. Listen, I, I like that advice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it. you get out and enjoy. Hey, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right, uh, Mary is going to be up next. Good morning, Mary. Yeah, Bob. Uh, just one question. Uh, can I use landscape mix in my pots uh, out on the patio, or do I have to use some kind of a potting mix? What are you planting in those pots? Uh, just uh, some kind of flowering plant, uh, like geraniums or uh, something like that. Uh, okay. Not a good okay. idea to put the landscape mix in it. Well, landscape mix is going to be the lowest quality soil and the lowest price soil that you're going to get from the material yards. One step up the ladder is going to be their garden mix, and that's what I would put in the pots. If you're going to buy a bulk soil, I think garden mix would be a better choice than landscape mix. I don't think you need to grow to a real high-grade, uh, you know, potting soil of any sorts. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, at, at Nature's Creation, we like their products. We had a, a big hand in uh, seeing that they put the right things in the bag. And uh, they actually, they have what they call a garden soil, but they did say also for pots and raised beds and things like that. So I'm going to go one step up from garden soil, but I'm not going to go to a, a real fancy potting soil for those pots. Okay, well, I'm going to go with the garden mix then. Okay. okay. All right, thank you. Well, you're certainly welcome. Great question, and uh, thank you for the call. Ah, let's just keep going here and uh, talk to Margaret. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning, Bob. How are you? 
Uh, it's just going to be a nice day out there. I think the drizzle's going away, so uh, it's going to be a real good day to get out and garden. Yes, sir, it is. I have a, a palm tree question. Okay. I have a palm tree that um, I don't know what kind it is. It's at least 50 feet tall, if not more. Okay. And I'm hearing two different schools of thought. I'm hearing trim all the dead leaves and see what happens, and other people saying leave the dead leaves on to protect it if we get another freeze or frost. I go with take the dead leaves off. Uh, is it a, a real thick trunk or is it a relatively thin trunk? Is that trunk 18 inches across or 6 or 8 inches across? Uh, it's a thick trunk. Okay. That's not necessarily good. Uh, because your, your thicker trunked palms tend to be what we call a Mexican fan palm. Uh, Washingtonia, there are two species. One of them is called Robusta, one of them is called Filifera. The Robustas are all dead. Um, the filiferas, probably 60-70% of them are going to come out just fine. Um, now, the if it were a thinner trunk, I would think that it's probably a windmill palm, and I'd give you probably 95% chance that uh, it's going to be fine. But there's really, you know, this is, what, the 14th day of March. Uh, we can certainly have some more cold, but we are not likely to have any more severe cold at this point. I mean, our latest freeze in San Antonio, I think, was April 4th, and that's still a month away. But, you know, that was a very light freeze, and the chances of us getting a really damaging freeze, very, very slim at this point. And I would be cutting off the dead foliage. Now, what we have to watch is right in the center, right where those fronds tend to come out. And uh, as long as we see green come out there, as long as we see those shoots uh, come up and actually open out into fronds, uh, we know the plant's going to be just fine. But this type of palm cannot sprout from the base. It does not sprout partway up the trunk. The only real living point up there to generate new growth is right up there in the crown. And I personally think cutting off the older, uglier leaves just makes it a little bit easier for that new growth to emerge. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's not mandatory that you do, and this does not sound like a, you know, a do-it-yourself project if it's 50 feet no. tall. It's, <laughs> no. I, I don't, you know, if I, I try to keep one foot on the ground. I jokingly say that. I, I spend some time repairing greenhouses and things like that. But uh, this is a job for a professional, and uh, that doesn't mean somebody with a pickup truck and a plastic sign. It means somebody that has good references and most definitely carries insurance to protect you. But I would be cutting the old fronts off just kind of watching and saying a prayer over them that we see some green growth coming out. But if it's, and, and you did say 50, five zero feet? Yes, it's very tall. Okay. I mean, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's been around a long time. It's been through some right. pretty severe cold in its life, so uh, I'm not going to write it off. But uh, uh, on the other hand, the so-called queen palms, they're dead, period. Washingtonia robusta, they're dead, period. Phoenix palms, most of the date palms, they're dead. But I think your palm has a good chance of coming out. So what? What I mean, what do you look for to see if it's dead? Does it start? I heard it turns downward or uh, green. Green is green. what you're looking for. Yeah, you'll first see a little like pencil-like, you know, like a 18-inch pencil sticking up out of there that's uh, nice and green in color. We're not out of the woods yet, but if that then opens out to make the frond that you're used to. 
that palm is out of the woods and barring a semi running into it, it's going to be fine. And there's no harm if we leave the brown leaves on. No, it's just going to be ugly. And yeah. um, and it tends to, the paper wasps tend to love those brown leaves and build nests in there. And I don't want to be the guy that has to trim them off later this spring. <laughs> so, right. uh, you know, and uh, but there is no rush to do this. And like I say, get a, get a good arborist to do it for you. Don't just, you know, deal with a guy with a pickup truck and a plastic sign. But uh, on the other hand, you know, don't, don't let somebody take you to the cleaners. I've heard just horror stories of uh, how much some unscrupulous plumbers were charging, or actually people that weren't even plumbers passing themselves off and charging people $400 an hour. And uh, there's hardly an industry around that we don't have a few scoundrels in, and there sure are plenty of them in the tree business. So uh, uh, just uh, use your common sense. (laughs) If you watch that tree grow to 50 feet tall, you've had lots of life experiences, and I don't have to be telling you that. I'm saying that for the benefit of the other 50,000 people out there that might not be quite as sharp as Margaret is in in the experience category. Right, right. But, uh, you know, I'm just looking at the expense to have them go up there and trim up the the brown leaves and then uh-huh. if we'll find out later it's dead it's another big expense to go <laughs> <laughs> and that's a very rational th- rational thinking there yeah it just yeah. makes it a little easier to see the green but a patient person uh the green's going to emerge whether the brown's up there or not okay that answers my question thank you so much and you have a blessed day bob you do the same margaret it's always fun to talk All to right. you Goodbye. All, right, All right, let's talk for a moment about the Cedar Eater of Texas. I love talking about the Cedar Eater because I love talking about good people that do it right. And that pretty much sums up what the Cedar Eater does. You know, a lot of people out there want to come bulldoze your land, want to pile your cedar up and burn it, want to loosen up all your topsoil so Mother Nature can wash it away. We will get a good uh, downpour one of these days, and I don't want a lot of loose soil around my ranch. If I'm going to get rid of the cedar, it's not going to be with a skid steer or a bulldozer. It's going to be either cutting it and grinding it up or just using uh, letting the cedar eater come in with their machine that cuts it off at ground level and grinds it all in one process. They can do acres and acres in a single day. They work right around the trees you want to save. As a matter of fact, in a really tight area, Stan will send in a hand clearing crew. They cut those cedars that are right up against the oaks and elms and cherries and things drag them out in the open and in a matter of seconds that machine can turn them into a real good quality mulch. I don't mean to say they're not going to turn over a rock or two because it is a big machine but it sure isn't like having a skid steer just ruining your land. Cedar Eater can clear acres and acres in a single day and your land just starts getting better. Uh, It's just a perfect time of year to do it. You don't worry about burning. You don't worry about burn bands. You get a nice bunch of good mulch out of the deal. Cedar Eater also, uh, well, they do other things. If you're down in South Texas, need those Cinderas cleared, they can do miles in a single day. They can do more in a day than than a man crew probably can do in 30 days. And, of course, if you have big trees that may have died of drought or oak wilts or if you suffered real severe damage in the ice storm and have trees that just need to come down, if you've got a bigger machine called a Wilt Eater that can take them down safely, and don't worry, you will not spread oak wilt around that way. Just remember all the services from the Cedar Eater, and if you'd like to learn more, give them a call, 210-745-2743. That's 210-745-2743 for the Cedar Eater of Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. 
All right, back to gardening. Y'all ask just the best questions in the world. I just, I'm so pleased. I, I listen to some talk radio, and I am totally convinced that I have the most intelligent audience of anybody on the air. Just know I appreciate every one of you. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Robin and James and Angel next three, and Robin's up first. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Hey, I want to tell you. I want to tell you how much I enjoyed the article on you and your partner uh, <laughs> in Texas Gardener Magazine. Well, thank you so much. I, they mighty kind folks. And, uh, uh, you know, that magazine's getting better and better. Uh, Jay bought it uh, oh, four or five years ago. They're becoming more organic in their outlook. And uh, I years ago, I got a little jaded with it, so to speak, uh, because of their view. But let me tell you, it's... In my opinion, it's getting better and better all the time. It's a magazine I recommend. Uh, it's, in fact, I think it's the best print gardening magazine out there. So I appreciate you reading, and I appreciate you noticing. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was a nice surprise. I have a question about my daughter-in-law's orchid. She doesn't okay. know what kind it is. She's in Sun Valley, Idaho, but she says it, it has clear sap all over the Stems. Okay, Sticky. that's not necessary. That's not okay. Um, it there there are two things that will produce stickiness on the stems. If it indeed is a sap, if it's actually being exuded by the plant, um, that's not necessarily anything bad. Plants periodically bleed out a little bit of carbohydrate material, but if it is, uh, she needs to look for. Any insects, the uh, the two insects that are quite possible, or I'll just say that they do occur on orchids. One of them is the scale, which of course looks like little beige to brown turtle shells on the orchids, and then the mealybug, and everybody knows what mealybug looks like. It's basically an unarmored scale, and those two insects is actually a sugary excretion that they put out, and typically you then have a black mold grow on it. So, um, it, and, but again, some orchids, especially when they're in bloom, they just produce, you know, uh, uh, they just produce a kind of a sugary substance and, and no problem. So she needs to examine them carefully for scale and for mealybugs. If she finds mm-hmm. either of those two, then the uh, insecticide of choice uh, is going to be neem. She should have no trouble finding neem. It's uh, N-E-E-M. It's an organic uh, product comes from a Brazilian tree that is very effective against both scale and mealybug. But if she finds no trace of either of those insects, she should just assume that it's a happy plant. She says it looks healthy otherwise, and it's got like nine buds on it. <laughs> well, tell her to check because sometimes, um, you know, it takes a little while for these insects to really build their numbers up. But I'm certainly in hopes and... Uh, um, I, you know, I, I, again, I'd say there's about an 80% chance that it's perfectly north, normal and nothing to be concerned about, but uh, it still does uh, merit a, a close exam. Okay, I'll have her look at it with a magnifying glass. And tell her, you know, at some point, some point to send you a picture of it because it would be good yeah. to figure out exactly what it is. It, it, the most commonly sold orchids these days are, of course, Phalaenopsis and Deridonopsis and that whole group. 
but um, I, I'm starting to see a few other things around. And just if it turns out to be a Cattleya or an Oncidium or Dendrobium, uh, those just simply take more light to do very well. So it'd be nice to know what it is. But uh, in any event, um, their orchids are not immune to a few insect issues, but uh, they're not real common. Okay. Thank you. I'll, I will tell her. Uh, my next question is on my lemon tree. I have uh, two branches at the bottom that are green, have green leaves on them. Uh-huh. The rest of it is is papery, white, brown. Tank. And when you when you say at the bottom, how close to the ground are these green leaves coming out? Uh, well, they were already out when the before the freeze. Okay, uh, um, about five inches long. And when we okay. uncovered it after the freeze, it, you know, they were already there. But okay. the rest of it looks terrible. No slits in the trunk. Okay. Can you identify where the graft point is on this tree? Do you know what you're looking for or where the tree was grafted? Yes, I think so. Okay. Yes. Well, you need to look very carefully and see if that if those are coming out at or below the graft point, and if so, they need to be removed immediately because the rootstock that they're grafted onto, whether it's Carrizo, whether it's Trifoliate Orange or Sour Orange or Flying Dragon, the rootstocks are much more cold-hardy than the graft portion than the scion that is grafted onto the rootstock. And following severe cold like this, if you allow the rootstock to grow out, then the top of the tree will just fold up and die. If you keep anything below the graft point pruned off, it will force the plant to put its energy into the actual top of the plant. And many times, I mean, leaves are brown. Every leaf on virtually every citrus is is brown and crispy now. But a lot of these plants are still alive. And if we keep the rootstocks pruned, keep all the growth pruned off of them, a lot of these trees are going to come out. Now, it may come out, you know, not all the way at the top. And if it comes out halfway up the trunk, uh, then we can assume that everything above that point is pretty much dead and go ahead and cut that off. But in any event, you need to look carefully down to the graph point and remove anything that's at or below that point. Okay, I didn't even think about that coming long ago it's well it's it's uh you know it's just the rootstock is very very vigorous and that's why it's used for a rootstock and it's also much more cold hardy than lemons or limes or you know satsumas or anything else are so uh, a lot of people erroneously think because they see new growth at the base that that plant is just coming out fine it's not the part you want to come out, and you need to keep that part trimmed off so that the top of the plant has a chance to come out. Okay, and even though this was already there, it still could mm-hmm. come from the root stock. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay, good. Good clarification on that. Um, and my one more question. On my sago palm, I have the, stem, the stems are green, but, of course, the leaves are brown on the stems. So should I cut uh-huh. off the leaves and leave the green stems? You should leave everything that's green. Um, you know, sometimes some of those fronds, you may have a, a fourth of the frond is green and the three-quarters of it is brown. You might as well cut off anything that's that white to translucent to brown color because that's dead and that's not coming back. But the sagos are badly hurt, and they need every square inch of uh, material full of chlorophyll that they can. So anything that's green, try to trim around that and leave it. Beyond that, go ahead and trim them back. Some of the sago 
those uh, will continue to branch out and grow from the top, although that's probably not going to happen till Mother's Day. Others may branch and come out from the base, but we're going to have to be really patient with the sagos. Most shrubs and things, we're going to know within the next two to three weeks how badly hurt they were. The sagos, it's going to be early summer before we know if they're going to put on new fronds. So uh, trim off the brown, leave the green, and be very, very patient. So it's going to look really funny, just these green sticks coming out. And you're not going to be the only one in town looking at that. But that tree, and and ultimately they may brown out as well and need to be cut off. But as long as there is green there, that's that's the plant's only ability to absorb the sun's energy. And believe me, they're going to need all the energy they can get to get through this. Okay, well, thank you for all that clarification. Okay. Always a pleasure, Robin. Thank you for the call. You do the same. All right, let me get my last break of the hour out of the way. James and Angel will be my next two callers. I get to talk about Rhonda's Nature's Way. Gosh, I was going to try to get by there this week. and just got too busy in the nursery business. But I'll be Rhonda's next week, I promise you. Because when it comes to getting the best in supplements and vitamins, and I just take a number of different things that Rhonda has told me about that uh, – I, you know, I just believe if you're going to enjoy life, you got to feel good. And if you want to feel good, it's not necessarily, in fact, usually it's not pharmaceutical stuff that the doctor prescribes. There are so many natural things that have no side effects that produce absolutely wonderful results. And you're not going to find them in the grocery store or a chain pharmacy. Those folks, about all they can tell you is the name and the price on their products. At Rhonda's, let me tell you, she and her staff and family, they know everything you would want to know about every product that they have in the store. And that includes the very best when it comes to supplements. It includes the very best when it comes to, well, things that will help you with your diet. Uh, you don't have to give up flavor. You don't have to give up a little bit of sweetness. Again, I, I keep talking about that dark chocolate, mock fruit sweetened, no sugar in there, and but none of the saccharin or any of that kind of stuff that you want to stay away from either. Rhonda just has quality products and the knowledge to tell you what is likely to help you with your issues and of course uh, ask your medical doctor they'll tell you that red light therapy and beamer light therapy those are very very widely accepted uh, things that will help with many different issues and they practice those at both stores uh, north side store you also can uh, experience reflexology and let me tell you that was one of the most amazing experiences i have ever had you just need to get over and see Rhonda's nature's way they're always closed on sunday but uh, other days, uh, both stores, the Southside stores over on Southwest Military, Northside store there in the center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan, you have really found a friend when you go over to Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and quickly back to the phone lines. Good morning, James. How are you this morning? Morning, Bob. How you doing? Morning, man? sir. Everything, Hi. Everything's great. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, we just need a good thorough rain, but uh, at least it's warm. Things are starting to green up. Uh, a lot of stuff that looks bad is starting to come out. So uh, my world's pretty good. What's going on in yours? Oh, it's uh, the middle of March, so it's time to uh, start uh, getting seed trays and soil blocks ready for the big transplant in the middle of april we, we oh yeah start uh cantaloupes cucumbers watermelons wash uh for planting out uh, in four weeks that's yes sir 
discipline there just about right. So that's around the second week in April, and you can usually bet the farm that it uh, the cold weather's gone by then. <laughs> yeah, by the by the middle of April, you're you're pretty much safe. I think the latest freeze uh, in San Antonio was the fourth of April. So. Uh, we're not out of the woods yet. Easter is the first Sunday, I believe, in April, so we could have a little more cool weather. But hopefully, hopefully the cold stuff will certainly be gone by then. So you're a you're a busy man. Are you doing any of your grafted tomatoes this year, or have you had time to fool with those this time around? No, we're just uh, doubling up on the compost tea and uh, growing growing pretty good plants. There, uh, the hoop house tomatoes don't have any. Uh, Dings or bangs on them. They're looking pretty good. They're getting uh, compost tea sprayed on them uh, about every 10 days and uh, uh, soil drench about the same time. Uh, and that's, they're really healthy. I've got some <laughs> leaves on tomatoes that are touching the ground, and I'm going to leave them there uh, yeah. and just see uh, how the compost tea protects them. So yeah, far, and this is. This is what you're doing uh, primarily for early bright light protection and some of those other things that sometimes show up. Yeah, I just put the fogget on the end of the the water and wand and uh, give everything a, a fog with the compost tea pump going. And uh, boy, these these plants look good. I've got green tomatoes <laughs> about the size of ping pong balls. You're just making everybody jealous out there, James. But you're you're the pro, and uh, and you you have a little more time to put into it. You don't you don't ever have enough time to do it all. But uh, um, peppers, you getting your peppers going too? Yes, the serranos, the jalapenos, and uh, this year we're going to do the uh, the lunch box. That that sweet little. Uh, uh, sweet pepper yeah. that looks like yeah, kind of a, a garden solid. Listen, if you want to hang on, you can. Um, I've got to go to news. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Well, let's just uh, get right back to those phone lines. We're going to visit a little more with James and then Angel and then Mark and... Uh, James, that, that's that's what we call a hard out. That means that when we that second sweep gets to the twelve at the top of the hour, I have to be I have to be moving over for the news. Uh, didn't mean to cut you off there, but uh, what else have we got? We want to go over today. Uh, the question I had for you was the uh, the phosphoric acid that they put in the fish emulsion. How does that affect the the tea uh, uh, compost tea? You know. Um, we we learned a long time ago in chemistry lab, you never add water to acid, you add acid to water. And if you add a little bit of phosphoric acid, it's not really going to have any real impact, uh, you know, from doing it. Now, changing the pH, and you have to realize we've probably got 20,000 kinds of bacteria and potentially 10,000 kinds of fungi in that compost tea. So anytime you change in the temperature, anytime you change in the pH, um, you're going to have some impact, uh, uh, some positive and some negative impacts on your compost tea. But, you know, if you're following, if you're using a compost tea recipe that you're having real good luck with, far be it from me to tell you to do anything different. The Luke up at uh, Compost Tea Lab in Eureka, California, recommends a dry 
fish product, I ordered five pounds from Bright Ideas. That's what all the big boys are using instead uh-huh. of, the, of the bottle product. Uh, it's a, it, I don't know how they make it, but it's a dried fish powder. Well, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I do think that, uh, um, that there is a place for the liquid. What you want to get, if you're getting a liquid fish product, just be sure you're getting a cold-pressed fish product as opposed to one that is uh, heat-treated because heat's going to destroy a lot of good microbes. Uh, and the same thing's true of a dry fish product. I would want to know how it is produced. But if you're dealing with a compost heat professional, they're going to be putting you on to good products. But uh, I... I think you can go either way. I think fish is good in that fish supports both uh, beneficial fungi as well as beneficial bacteria. But yeah. I have uh, I have I have uh, no objection to liquid fish as long as it is a cold process product rather than a heat heat produced product. One more thing. One of my growers that came over the other day uh, brought me a load of sand for potting soil. And he said he saw a uh, scissor tail up on the fence line, so he uh-huh. can guarantee you that there's no more uh, freezing weather coming. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he may be hard to find. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of like I was thinking about a, a cartoon I, I saw a while back, and the and the guy said, uh, the guy that sold me this car promised to stand behind it. Problem was, he didn't promise to push. So uh, I'm not going to believe anybody that says there's absolutely no chance of some more cold weather because uh, you and I have both uh, spent enough years on this earth, made enough trips around the sun to know that uh, we simply can't predict those things. And if they're getting four feet of snow in Colorado, I, I'm not sure winter's totally over, but... Uh, uh, if he wants to believe in the scissor tails, more power to him. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, have, uh, have yeah. fun, and you guys uh, 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 really have fun in the garden, and I appreciate your help uh, answering the questions today. Always uh, a pleasure, James. And uh, you let us know when those transplants are out at the market up there uh, in Marion, and uh, keep up the good work. All right. Let's keep going here, and uh, thank you. Uh, Angel's up next. Good morning, Angel. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? I'm well. How about you, sir? Well, I'm trying to deal with some issues here with some uh, ferns and lantanas. Uh, okay. These are all these are potted plants, and mm-hmm. the ferns. I went on ahead and I cut them back. I cut off all the dead, and on uh, quite a few of them, I've only got maybe a couple of little fronds that are coming out that are green, and mm-hmm. then the others. Well, there's quite a few more fronds that are out green and then of course i have two or three that have absolutely nothing that's coming out well the the group of plants we call ferns they are a that's a huge group of plants and um uh, some of them are, of course, much more cold sensitive than the others. Some freeze back every winter, come back out. Uh, there are tropical ferns, like tree ferns and things like that, that are much less likely to survive, you know, a cold event like this. So, um, if you have individual varieties or things that you have a question about, I'll, I'll try to give you a little help with that. But, uh, in general, you know, all the, the asparagus plants that we call ferns, most all of those are going to come back, especially the ones in the ground. 
Um, many of our so-called wood ferns, genuses dryopteris on most of those, most all of those are going to come back. The holly ferns, the autumn ferns, the maidenhair ferns, most of those are going to come back without any problem. Uh, some of the more tropical ferns, though, some of the things like bird's nest and uh, mother fern, things like those, we're just going to have to wait and see. I, I certainly wouldn't give up on them yet. I'd probably give them about another two weeks. If you're not seeing some new growth by the time Easter gets here, then they're probably not going to come back. Okay. What about the lantanas that we have also that are potted? Potted lantanas, were they covered Yes, they were covered, and then they were under the porch. But okay. I can tell they got they got damaged. Yeah, most of them are probably going to come back without any problem. the The trailing types, the purples and whites, uh, they will be the first ones to come back out. But the reds and yellows, uh, again, the problem in pots is if that pot freezes solid all the way through, that can damage the roots as well as the lower part of the stem. And the ground, I've not no problem. I think. 99% of lantanas are going to come back out. In containers where they were covered, I think they have a real good chance of coming back out. But, you know, we just got awfully cold, and it stayed below freezing for several days in a row. So going to have to wait and see. I'd be, you know, I'd be hitting them with a little fertilizer. I might even put a little bit of Super Thrive on them. But I'm, I'm not going to make judgment about whether they're alive or not until after Easter. If we haven't seen any growth on the lantanas by the time Easter rolls around, which I think is three weeks away, um, then I'm going to be concerned that they're not going to come out. But I, I'm sure not going to give up on them yet. It's been... Uh, what's it? It's only been about two weeks <laughs> since we went through all yeah. of this, so going to have to have a little patience here. But I think most of your ferns are going to come through just fine. And even the ones that are only producing a couple of fronds, remember that's how they started out originally. It may take them a little bit longer to fill out than some of the ones that uh, you know have lots of new growth coming out on them. But the fact that you've got new growth means that they're alive, and that's a good sign. Oh, okay, okay. And what, and the uh, lantanas, I should just go ahead and cut off all the dead? Yeah, I can cut them. I'm, I'm cutting mine that back to about three inches tall. Uh, in this case, I like a liquid fertilizer rather than a dry. Um, and what I'm using is just the has to grow plant, and I'm putting, you know, maybe a cap full of Super Thrive in with it as well. Uh, Garrett juice is, of course, the mixture that Howard Garrett uses with little apple cider vinegar and things. That's also a really good product. I might alternate. I might use a little Garrett juice in it one time, and then just a little bit of fertilizer with Super Thrive the next time. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate all your help. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You get out and have a great Sunday, and I know we'll talk again. <laughs> Come on. All right. Uh, Don, let's get a break out of the way here and be right back so we don't get behind. You're listening to Gardening on KTSA. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening. The next three callers are Mark and Jane and Barbara, and Mark is up first. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, sir. Well, a little a little um, light tri- light trivia here to start with. The, the hummingbirds are trickling back in. Very good. What are you seeing? Well, which species are you seeing now? <clears throat> it's um, I guess it's the black chin. What I call uh-huh. the ho hums. You know, you, yeah. <laughs> no a good. Oh, okay, no ruby throats or violet chins yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Uh, oh. Um, so we're still under massive stress here, of course. So um, 
the, the, the problem, what happened to us is we had a very light rain for, well, we're trying to reconstruct this a month later, maybe 36 hours at 28 degrees. Yep. yep. And so it collected three-quarter inch plus of ice, which I've calculated was 16,000 pounds of ice per acre. Oh, wow. Or many tree limbs had like, you know, 500, 800 pounds of ice on them. Yeah. <clears throat> so... You know, they started breaking the first day. The, the The first tree to break was a massive tree of the garden, and it's because it was growing fast and it was weak. And, uh-huh. and that 36-inch that tree was the most damaged. It's like 80% is gone. Wow. And so, and they kept breaking for like, well, they didn't really stop. I mean, even after the ice had stopped, they kept breaking. You had to be careful running, walking around. Sure. Um, there were the, okay. <clears throat> I spent five hours putting together a web page on our website that describes all of this, and it's got a lot of pictures and a lot of good information there. Well, you've got all sorts of fun things about your Hummers, too. Get, tell everybody what your website is if they want to take a look at this. And, of course, you're north of Fredericksburg for anybody that doesn't recognize Mark's voice. So uh, you were up in that little belt that had the severe uh, tree damage. So uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Hummingbird Heaven, is that what am I remembering? Tell, tell me exactly what your website is. Um, www.birdoasis2.net. Oh. Okay. And All right. The, there, there's a button on the front. We call it the Ice Apocalypse. And, <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, was, uh, go, go ahead. ahead. There was... Um, Approximately 1,500 power poles broke off out here. Wow. And we were out of power for 13 days, or power Mm. phone. Some people didn't get power back for four weeks. They just finished getting it back, like, last week. Yeah. So we were lucky that that we had a generator that kind of of worked. That was one of the many, many issues we had. You don't you don't check your generator often, and there was there was a lot of issues. <clears throat> well, anyway. and of course, getting fuel for it and all. But uh, yeah. well, we've certainly thought about you. Uh, knew we couldn't couldn't talk to you because of your cell phone issues and all the damage to those things. But uh, nice to know the Hummers are back. That will uh, that'll make everybody smile a little bit more. And just uh, you know, it'll take a year to to finish all the cleanup that it's going to take. But uh, fortunately, you know, we've been through this before and. Gardeners are resilient people, so when you don't have any choice, we just make the most of it. Uh, yeah, most people right. say when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I say when life gives you lime, make margaritas. But uh, yeah. it's uh, yes, sir. Was, well, listen, was, I know people. Go ahead. There was there was four separate ice, or four separate breakage events, and I described mm-hmm. what happened on each one. So you'll want, you'll want to read that. And and we'll, nothing anything near this. Like this has happened here in like 300 years because there's no stubs on the live oaks, on the old yeah. live oaks. And now the yeah. live oaks are just everything is stubs. You know, that's all it is. Anyway, yeah, so go, go read it. And there's a photo album. And uh, <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> so www.birdoasis2.net. We'll be looking at it, Mark, and yeah. sure appreciate okay. you checking in with us. Okay, all right. You take care. Thank Tom. you so much. Okay. You too. Bye. All right, uh, Jane is up next. Good morning, Jane. Uh, we Hi, Jane. Have, uh, we have uh, several plants that we're not quite sure we, we should trim yet. Okay. And um, I know you've probably explained this to several people already, but we seem <laughs> we didn't catch it. <laughs> Let's do it again. What are you concerned about? 
All right, we've got rosemary, and I know you said if it was prostate, it's probably dead. Should we, we did have that kind. Um, should we trim it and see if it comes back or just completely take the plant out? Well, with the pro- and it's prostrate rosemary. There is an R in there. <laughs> so we're not going to be talking to the urologist at this point. <laughs> and, uh, I hope not. You know, what, uh, what we have been observing on, on the prostrate rosemary is the bigger plants are the ones that suffer the most. And so I'm telling people, trim enough that you can see down to the base of the stems. If you're seeing big splits in the lower part of the stem, you might as well just pull it up and put some fresh in. The younger, newer plants, a lot of those seem to be coming out. So I would just trim off the obviously brown and crispy part. But uh, uh, unfortunately, most of the really big plants uh, are going to end up being replaced. Now, the upright rosemary, most of that is coming back just fine. It's substantially more cold-hardy than the prostrate form, but uh, uh, the bigger plants, I'm afraid, you know, most of those are probably gone, but rosemary grows pretty quickly, and it's one of those plants there seems to be a pretty good availability on it right now. Okay. All right. Um, Great. Uh, We also have ligustrum that looks like, I mean, doesn't have any leaves on it anymore um it's just you know dried branches so is it is this a the wax leaf or is it the japanese oh gosh hold on do you know if that's how how big are the japanese it's probably about four and a half okay it's probably yeah probably the wax leaf I would, if you want to trim it just to make it look a little nicer, you can. But I'm going to give it another two or three weeks to come out. Most of it will come out. Uh, now, one's up in pots. I'm not sure about those. But most of the ligustrum in the ground is going to come out. And when you start seeing that new growth appear somewhere on the stem, at that point you figure everything above that spot is uh, completely dead and just go ahead and cut it off. But I think most of your wax leaf is going to come out okay. Okay. Um, we also have the sweet olive. Um, it's it's probably maybe five to six feet tall, and it dropped all of its leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> do we trim that back? And now, by sweet olive, you mean the one that has the little, very, very small, very fragrant flowers usually come out in January? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I would wait and see where it comes out. Most of the sweet olive is going to come back out. Mexican olive, if you're very far north, that, that stuff's just dead. But the sweet olive, the osmanthus, is likely going to come out probably down 12 or 18 inches uh, above the ground. And again, give it till Easter. And, uh, you know, at whatever point it does start to put on some new growth, just cut everything above that. Oh, okay. All right. And I guess the last thing I have is um, the Woods Dwarf Heavenly Bamboo. It looks good, but it's mm-hmm. kind of woody. Um, should we trim that at all? Trimming Nandina is is a little more difficult. Uh, the dwarf forms, I don't usually find you need to trim much at all. The compact forms and the old standard forms, the problem is... Uh, you know, it doesn't really branch real well. And what I tell people who want to reduce the size is go through and take out about a third of the canes. Choose the tallest canes there 
and cut them way down close to the ground. They will that will stimulate new growth from the ground, but it's not something you can just go through and cut the whole thing back by four inches or six inches. Uh, that will give you very unattractive plants that will not regrow well. So, um, if you do need to reduce the size, like I say, just take out the tallest of the canes and let it start producing new canes from the base. The ones that are shorter, just leave them totally alone. Where they have lost foliage, new growth will come back out on them. But uh, I really don't cut the canes back much unless I'm going to cut them way down low. Okay. All right. Well, that was it. Thank you so much. Great questions. Thank you for the call this morning. You're <laughs> welcome. Take, take care. Have a good week. You too. And goodbye. All right. Let's go ahead and talk to Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Um, I have a question about uh, a couple questions. Jerusalem sage, I had about three or four of them, and they're probably three feet uh, diameter and three feet in height, and they, they look pretty bad. They uh, froze all the way back. Should I cut them back down to, you know, the, the woody part, which is probably, you know, the initial stem there is probably an inch and a half, two inches almost in diameter. Should I cut it way back down or let them go for a while? I I would cut them back. I don't know that I would cut them quite that low. I'm probably, you know, the, the smaller stems, I'm going to cut them back to maybe six inches tall. Mine, I can see new growth down at the very base. I just haven't had time yet to get in there and really start cutting them back. But most of the Jerusalem sage, I'm going to tell you probably the top 80% is dead. But uh, I just, uh, golly, I hate to cut anything that's much bigger than a pencil. Um, right. I would clip those first and then I would wait and see where the new growth comes out your big stems probably will come out but I like to wait until I see the new green appear before I start whacking them all the way back okay okay and another question um, my vegetable garden I uh, <clears throat> I managed to salvage my uh, all my Swiss chard and, and the greens I, I cut the leaves off and blanched them and froze them and then covered the roots and now <laughs> and and they came back up like crazy. You know, they're, I've got, you know, Swiss chard now a foot high. But um, mm-hmm. and uh, in the middle of all of that, though, I had an, a pot that was upside down holding down some of the blankets and stuff. And uh-huh. under that pot is a huge fire ant pile, um, okay. probably eight inches high. What do I treat it with not to hurt the rest of the vegetables around it? Um, and how close are the other, are the other plants to this mound? Oh, probably a foot. Okay. Um, normally, I would be treating with uh, orange oil or mound drench, but I think you're a little close for that. Uh, there are a couple of choices. If you want to kill them relatively quickly, I would just get some diatomaceous earth. And most of the time, now if you're putting out a bait like the come and get it, which is the other option, just takes a little bit longer to kill. But with diatomaceous earth, you want to disturb the mound. You want to stir it up. You want those ants to come boiling out. And you just want to be sprinkling with the diatomaceous earth because it gets down in the exoskeleton of the ants and it kills them very effectively. You'll Normally, you won't kill 100% of the mound with the first treatment, maybe not even the second. But where you've got Got, and, and fire ants are going to be bad this spring. But uh, I would start with diatomaceous earth. Just stir that mound up and just keep sprinkling. DE is not going to hurt your plants at all. And uh, okay. it doesn't even hurt most of the beneficials. Now, once you've killed out uh, 90% of the ants, you can either put out some of the bait to come and get it, 
or better still, I would get some beneficial nematodes. Beneficial nematodes are very effective. Um, I would probably do a bit of a few of them just in a drench over the mound area. And I'm telling people, go ahead and, you know, put your nematodes out for grub worms because the grub's going to be early this year. We're already starting to see a few. And, uh, were it me, I would, uh, I'd, I'd use some of my beneficial nematodes directly on the fire ant mound and then I'd just be spraying the rest of them around the garden in general. Okay. And this diatomaceous earth, it's not the same that we use like in the pool, right? I have some that we put in the swimming pool. Is it the same? No, stuff? no. No, it's, uh, well, the stuff in the pool has been heat treated and it takes off the sharp edges. Uh, they're microscopically sharp, but it's those sharp edges that kill the ants. And, uh, so no, you do not want to use your pool DE. You can get it versus most any nursery. It's very, very inexpensive. And, uh, there, there are a number of different uses for it. But no, what you want is, uh, it's probably going to say fruit gray diatomaceous earth, but it is not the same as you use for filtering. Okay. And one last quick question. I heard you yesterday, and I think I heard you correctly, on a century plant, I can cut off those sharp barbs at the end, and it will not hurt the plant itself. Oh, not in any way. Not in any way. And the century plants are damaged. And uh, But I know a lot of people with small kids and with pets. I mean, pets get eye damage. Uh, kids get, you know, all sorts of bad things can happen. And uh, so you will not harm the tree or the plant in any way cutting those spines off, freeze damage or no freeze damage. Okay, great. That answers everything. Thank you so much. Well, let's back up to one question you didn't ask. Um, On Swiss chard, uh, it will, you know, it lives, in my garden it lives for two or three years, and it just gets a bigger, heavier, gnarlier stem on and on. With all the freeze, some of mine that started to come out, the ones that had the really big thick stems, they have not done real well, and I've wound up replacing most of those. The younger plants, they are coming back just fine. So keep a close eye on them. If they are not recovering to your satisfaction, go ahead and plant some fresh plants because I'm not sure that they're going to be quite as perennial as they usually are following all the cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They usually do, like you said, about three years easily. Yeah, and if these are more than a year old, uh, keep a close eye on them. I'm afraid they're not going to produce quite as long or quite as well as they would have without all the cold. So just something to watch out for. Okay. Well, thanks so much. Have a great day. You do the same, Barbara. Thank you for the call. All right, let's get another break out of the way, and we'll be right back with more gardening questions. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Jay and Doug and Bill, and Jay is up first. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Hey, um, I'm up in the up in the hill country. Okay. And um, <laughs> we've got a dog kennel that we call the Planetentiary because that's where all the plants <laughs> have to stay. Okay. And I'm putting up eight foot. Um, net wall fence around the backyard so we can let my wife's plants out of the planetentiary. Okay. I was trying to decide what I want to put some vines on the fence for privacy. Uh huh. And, you know, something hopefully, you know, evergreen or nearly evergreen, pretty blooms, you know, something for the hummingbirds, hopefully. We did get our okay. first hummingbird yesterday. Very um, good. You know, frag- fragrant would be nice. Um, <laughs> you want it all. <laughs> how far up in the How far up in the hill country are you, Jay? We're we're in the Bandera area. Okay. Um, 
probably your best bet that's going to come pretty close on most of those requests is going to be a plant called Tangerine Beauty Crossvine. And uh, it is evergreen. It is fast growing. It will be dense enough to give you some um, screening. Um, and it's going to be cold hardy. That's going to be one of the big concerns. Not overly fragrant, but uh, it, it will have some fragrance. And the way Tangerine Beauty Crossvine tends to grow and tends to bloom, you get a heavy bloom through mid to late spring, and then you get some flowering just kind of scattered through the summer. And mm-hmm. to meet most all of your criteria, that's that's probably going to be one of the best ones I can suggest. Now, other things you could consider, uh, the plant that uh, they call Queen's Crown, botanically it's called Antigonon, uh, is just absolutely covers itself with super fragrant blooms, but it is going to freeze down in the winter and come back. Another fun plant to look at is called Rangoon Creeper. And it's a gorgeous vine, huge clusters of flowers. You can smell them from a 100 feet away, but it also is going to freeze to the ground. My business partner lives uh, north of Bergheim, between Bergheim and Candelia. It's probably pretty much the same climatic area. Mm-hmm. And hers have come through every winter so far. I really haven't seen new growth on them yet this year. We'll see how they did with four degrees. But hopefully it's going to be 50 years before we see this kind of weather again. But if you have areas that you could mix in a vine that's going to be deciduous, uh, Queen's Crown and uh, Rangoon Creeper, two others that I would look at. But if the where the evergreen part is most important, I think Tangerine Beauty Crossvine is going to be your best choice. Well, that was a, another thought my wife had. You know, she was asking about, you know, possibly, you know, putting more than one species, you know, along, I mean, we've got to, you know, it's going to be about, you know, 250, 300 feet of fence when it's done. Sure. Sure. Um, and I was trying to, in my mind, I'm having trouble picturing the aesthetics of that. Um, <laughs> well, I, again, it's not it's not going to make a landscape architect smile. But um, what you could think about doing is, like, maybe use your tangerine crossvine, tangerine media crossvine, mainly on the fence, but maybe put up another arbor or two here or there to bring in the fragrance, to bring in the color, and just figure that when it goes away in the winter, you're going to have the tangerine bee crossvine there to give you your your screening, to give you your evergreen okay. screen. But uh, like you can that. certainly supplement the you know the color, and uh, you're going to bring in the hummingbirds. You're going to bring in all sorts of other fun things as well that way. But uh, probably want to go with a monoculture along the fence, but uh, don't don't just stop with covering cover the fence. Well, the uh, you know I. I... I've been thinking about this and, you know, some of the things that are more fragrant, you know, your honeysuckle, um, Confederate jasmine, you know, stuff like that. You know, I, I don't, I never see, um, you know, the, hum- the hummers or, or butterflies or, you know, ever, ever utilize them. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, now the, the, uh, uh, things like the queen's crown, uh, you'll have bees and butterflies galore there. A honeysuckle, I'm not crazy about the Japanese honeysuckles, but I, I guess it's one other that you might consider the, what we call the coral honeysuckle. It's a whole different genus, but, uh, it is, it's evergreen, but it's not thick. It's not something that's going to give you a real screen, uh, but it, it does give you some, you know, some nice flowers. Again, 
there are just very few perfect plants out there. All of them have oh, yeah. positives and negatives, and it's just figuring out what fits your situation. I'm, I, I've always stayed away from star jasmine, confederate jasmine, very much in the hill country because we do get winters up there enough to damage it a little bit more regularly. Here in San Antonio, it's been 30 years since we had uh, star jasmine damage, but this year we had a huge amount of damage. You can probably expect damage every five years up there. Star jasmine is one of our most fragrant, but then again, it only blooms for four to six weeks out of the year. Uh, there are other things that bloom over a much longer period of time. Well, great, Bob. Thank you. And... Um, while we're talking about vines, uh, I just have to throw out a couple of others where you know where you want to get maximum impact for minimum expense. Uh, two other fun little vines to look at. One of them is, uh, oh, they call it uh, sometimes a, uh, it, it's a form of morning glory. It's a form of ipomea, but it's called cypress vine. Covers itself with little red flowers. Very popular with the butterflies, at least. And uh, a very delicate, fine foliage. But it's something you can plant from seed, and it literally grows like a weed. There's another one they call hyacinth bean. Uh, Dolichos is its uh, generic name. And uh, it makes, it has a purplish-green leaf and then an unusual pink flower. And uh, that's another one if you just want to plant out there and let it come back year after year. Uh, give you a lot of color with minimum effort uh, on your part, other than being sure it gets periodic water. Okay. Okay. You you create a real vine garden. They're just uh, I love vines, and uh, I I think uh, again my I do more vegetable gardening. My business partner does more flower gardening, and in her garden she has some. uh, Oh, they're almost like a pyramid. They are uh, you know a heavy iron structure, but they're uh, uh, upright, pyramidal in shape, and about six feet tall. And she grows a number of different vines. She grows some of her queen's crown up that. She grows butterfly vine up that. And uh, if you if you and your family are fond of vines, you can come up uh, with some very interesting, different trellis-type arrangements, either two-dimensional or three-dimensional, uh, that you could bring in some other fun material. Okay. Okay. I like that idea. I like that a lot. Well, go for it and uh, send me a picture when you get it all done. You got it, Bob. Thank you. You're welcome, Jay. Thank you. And goodbye. All right, uh, Doug is up next. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm well, sir. How are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I've been not tuning into the show because I've been playing Paul Bunyan up here near Harbor, Texas. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, yeah, sir. You've, you've made a lot of firewood uh, since the ice well, storm, I'm sure. I did, but uh, mostly what went down was the cedar because all the vegetation got covered with ice, and it just weighed it down and snapped it. Well, I'm we not going to mourn bad. the loss of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not shedding it. It's, uh, and, and I don't mean to be cruel, but I'm not crying over dead axis deer, and I'm not crying over broken cedar. Both of those, we got too many of in the hill country. Yes, well, and, and uh, amen to that, except that I had to do a lot of work. But uh, yes, my sir. questions are um, I had six beautiful Aleppo pines, and hopefully I I still have six beautiful Aleppo pines that are just all brown needled, and I don't, it seems like the, when you bend the branches, they seem still alive, but uh, Mm -hmm. the needles are brown. Should I pull them off, or? or, or? No, I'd, 
I just leave them, and I've been very surprised at the damage to pines, both Aleppo's and Italian stone pine. I'm hoping that, um, you know, the damage is strictly cosmetic, is strictly to the needles. If the trees want to shed them, that's fine. I'm afraid you do more damage than good trying to actually pull them off. But uh, we're going to be watching the tips of the branches, and uh, hopefully you'll see that new little candle, as they call it, come out. Because, I, you know, we've, you've got Aleppo's up in that area that have been there probably for a 100 years, and we've certainly been through this much cold weather more than once in the past hundred years in fact more than once in the past 50 years so i'm optimistic that they're going to come back out but at the same time i'm surprised they're showing the damage they are so we'll all keep our fingers crossed okay and should i is there something i knew to help it along some kind of fertilizer like oh just any good organic fertilizer any good organic fertilizer and uh, if they're in an area you can you're you're dry the whole hill country is very dry a little supplemental water certainly wouldn't hurt and i think that's one of the reasons we're seeing the damage we have is just that this bad cold came on top of bad drought and a lot of trees have suffered more than they have here in town where they got a little bit more regular moisture yeah, I have a few um, longleaf pines that I just tried to bring with from where I was raised on the East Coast in the pine forest, but they also went brown on us, so yeah. hopefully they'll, they'll spring back too. Well, it, it seemed that even uh, all my live oaks, they all all the leaves just turned brown. Are they just uh, hastening this uh, yeah. normal drop? That I, I believe they are. Yeah, looking at mine, I feel the same way. The ones along my creek where they got more moisture, they're not dropping their leaves as quickly. The ones that are in the drier areas, I think it's just speeded it up. I'm not concerned about the live oaks at this point. Uh, I suspect within probably it's going to be two to three weeks we're going to see uh, new foliage coming out. Keep an eye out for caterpillar damage, and if you want to be on the safe side, put out some trichogramma. Uh, wasp. I, you just never know. And uh, the trichogramma kill the eggs of the little caterpillars. Just uh, this would not be a good year to have a real bad caterpillar infestation. So uh, at least around my house, I'm putting out the trichogramma. I can't do it on my acreage, but uh, the trees that I really want to protect, I think it's worth a few dollars just to be ahead of the game. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Okay. Well, I'm back to chainsawing. So thank you for your help. You just be very careful with it, and uh, uh, let me know how those Aleppos come out. I'll look forward to hearing from you. Okay, I will. Thanks, Bob. All right. Thank you, Doug. All right, let's get our last break of the show out of the way, Don, and uh, we'll come back see how much time we have. I'm pretty sure we'll have time to talk to Bill at least. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. Well, I went down the hill about 12 o'clock. I ran right back and I got me a pole. I'm going down to the fishing pole, and you can come fishing all the time. Have you been fishing all the time? I'm going fishing too. When you rent your life, love and wife, catch one fish for you. In a fish bite, if you got good bait, here's a little something I would like to relate. So come on, baby, come on, gal. I'm going fishing, yes, I'm going fishing, and you can come fishing too. Oh, Don, that's that's a tap, toe tapping. <laughs> I don't, you know, if if that doesn't put a smile on your face, there's something wrong with you. I mean, that 
Oh, good music. You know, my good engineer, Doc Cooper Stevens, uh, doing engineering when we get a a good fishing song for the last break of the show on Sundays. <laughs> you, you keep that queued up. If we end up with another 15, 20 seconds to the end of the show, we can listen to a little bit more of that. But just so we don't run out of time, let's go ahead and talk to Bill. Good morning, Bill. Actually, it's Phil. Bill with like Phil, okay. Fun. Yeah, good morning. Yeah. yeah. Good morning. You're playing my song. I'm an avid fisherman, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I grew up fishing with my granddad, and uh, there was a sign in a bait shop uh, where we always stopped on the way down to his little little farm lake, and uh, they had a sign up that said, The gods do not deduct from the allotted span of men's lives those hours spent fishing. So based on that, I plan to live to be a very old man. Amen. Hey, uh, so I feel like I'm calling this the "Is It Dead" show here, but the, <laughs> the, the uh, my Confederate jazz bin. I, I hear you talking about if stuff is split all the way down to the base. Are you talking about like the bark? Yeah, yeah. The bark on if it's had severe damage, the bark is just going to look like it's peeling off. And uh, if you see that. Cut it down below that point because that peeling bark has, in effect, sort of girdled the stem. Some of the Confederate is going to come out below that point. Some of it is just dead. And um, I, unfortunately, I, I was looking at some. We planted, you know, uh, probably about 60 feet along uh, along a fence that's right at the street front. Uh, did that because, you know, this day and time you always worry about graffiti, and Confederate jasmine's always a good choice because it grew eight feet tall the first year. But uh, a lot of it is just plain dead. Uh, I was out looking at it yesterday. But best thing you can do, cut it down to the level that you're seeing those splits, and at least some of it is likely to come back out. Okay. Yeah, I just got it last year. Three big ones, and the one we didn't get in the ground is doing fine because we were able to cover it. So. <laughs> Yeah, I had, I had a tree. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, well, go ahead. I had a, a a stand of banana trees too. I'm guessing they're going to come back. Oh yeah. I mean they yeah. are down to the ground. Are are they the big old standard green bananas? Yes, sir. The okay, yeah. They. I don't think there's any question that they are going to come back out. Now, in the past few years, um, some of the newer, fancier red leaf blood bananas, rojo bananas, uh, some of the ones with very unusual foliage, uh, the little dwarf ones called Cavendish. Some of those may not come back. They are not nearly as cold hardy. But that old banana palm that we grew up with, uh, you know. Several years ago, I don't think there's any doubt those are going to come back. Now, the really big, thick trunks, no, those are gone. We're not going to see a stalk of bananas anywhere in Bear County this next summer. But uh, you should get plenty of little sprouts come up around the side. They may stop at 6 to 8 feet this year instead of getting up to 12 to 14 feet. But uh, I'll be very surprised if you don't have plenty of banana palms come back up. Now, one question. I'm really kind of worried about this one. Uh, my family has some property up in uh, Kimball County, out by Harper. Yes, sir. Uh, all the oak damage. Are we are are we in danger of having a big problem with oak wilt because of all these branches that have broken off? Well, that's an excellent question, and the answer is yes and no because those wounds seal over you know in about seven or eight days to the point that oak wilt cannot get into them so unfortunately from the time we had the breakage until seven or eight days passed it stayed very cold so there was very little insect activity but 
you know, if we get wind and a branch that's partly broken goes ahead and, and splits and strips bark off of it, if people are careless in taking out the, the damage and leave open wounds, uh, yes, we could have more oak wilt issues there. But um, just from the storm damage uh, per se, no, that's not likely to increase, increase problems with oak wilt.